welcome to this episode of the Horror Drafts Podcast. This is going to be a special kind of fun one today because we're talking about the Scream franchise. And now there's only five films in it, so we can't really draft the franchise. But we figured out a fun little way to kind of work around that and create a draft uh, within the franchise, which we'll get to as we get into the podcast. But before I begin, I got to introduce... Our first returning guest to the Horror Drafts podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, he's a filmmaker and video editor. He currently works for Condé Nast, and you've seen his work on such branded content as Dunkin' Donuts, Mountain Dew, Almay, Glamour, Wired, Allure, Epicurious. And he's worked on such shows as American Pickers, Parking Wars, and Ink Master. Ladies and gentlemen, we are so happy to have back with us our first returning guest, Mr. Corey Stevens. Corey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me back. You just reminded me of so many jobs I had. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you could not tell, I was uh, reading off of your uh, about page on your website. <laughs> I, yeah, so I don't updated. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I figured probably, but you know, it'll give a nice little swath of some of the stuff you've done. Uh, Corey, I don't know if you've listened to any of our podcasts, but ever since the second one, I've always made it a point to try to give our guests a very good introduction because I felt so bad when you came on our podcast the first one because I was just like, oh, Corey, you're like a video editor, right? And then you sort of had to do your own introduction. And I was like, that's such bad hosting, Brantley. What are you doing? So I've, I've made it a point since then to give a really good introduction. So I, I hope that made up a little bit for my previous faux pas. That was terrific. I'm happy to have been the guinea pig in that situation and that you've done your research this time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you back on because uh, we're talking the Scream franchise this episode. And uh, I, I don't know about you, Nick, but I know for Corey and I, that's a very important franchise in our kind of horror history, so to speak. Um, and I think we'll delve into that as we get going. But um, before we start with all that, Corey, uh, you're our guest. Uh, what have you been watching, listening to, reading, anything like that lately? What have you been consuming? Um, I've been watching <laughs> The Book of Boba Fett, which I don't really want to get into that really much at all, other than to just point out the awkwardness that is its best episode doesn't even have its title character in it. So that's mm. that says all that needs to be said. Other than that, I've been catching up on a lot of been watching some of the Oscar stuff with my wife. So like we just watched mm. like Tick Tick Boom last night. Uh she had already seen it, and of course she's a theater nerd, so she was like made to love that movie. It was very good. Um and other than that, I mean I watched uh I watched Green Five a few weeks ago and um nice. otherwise I finished reading a Christopher Nolan book that was done in collaboration with him and it's the most he's kind of opened up to talk about any of his films so i read through that and then i've now slowly been chipping away at going through his filmography not that i really need to i've seen so many i've seen all of his movies so many times but now after reading it i wanted to go like one by one through his films oh interesting i'm not familiar with that book which one is that it's you called the, the it's called the nolan variations Oh, and it's okay. by, um, I want to say that his name is Tom Schoen. I'm trying to look for the book near me right now, but uh, the, it's called The Nolan Variations. Oh, very cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to check that out. That sounds yeah. pretty cool. Good read. Nice. Uh, Nick, man, what have you, I mean, outside of the Scream franchise, have you had time to watch anything else or? 
that's been pretty much it. My wife and I were watching. Well, actually, we just finished season two of The Great, which has nothing to do with horror. It's the farthest from horror you could possibly get, but unbelievable. I loved. I, it's hilarious. I'm so blown away by that show. I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, well, uh, recommended by former guest Oriana Schwint. Uh, she's a big fan That's of right. that. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, my wife yeah, is crazy need... about it too. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, I haven't started yet. I, it's one that's like add it to the giant pile of li- list of things I'd like to be watching, but don't have the time to. Yeah, um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, that's awesome. Uh, so outside of the Scream movies that I rewatched and then actually rewatched a couple of them again because uh, I was like, oh, this is a lot of fun uh, preparing for this episode. I uh, I have been watching um, the Showtime television show Yellow Jackets. Have you guys seen I, either of you seen that? heard about that no i don't know anything about it okay uh it's pretty awesome i loved it i mean i'm a big fan of melanie linsky so i'll watch her like in whatever she's in and uh she's great in it as is like everyone else that's in the cast juliette lewis uh christina ricci i mean everyone that's in it with her and tangentially related to scream uh jasmine savoy brown is in it who is in uh scream 5 or the you know scream 2022 the new one in theaters and Man, she she is great in both uh, the movie Scream and the uh, Yellow Jackets show, and I she is just gonna be like a friggin' A lister any minute. I feel like she's just like friggin' superstar in the making. Gonna be a star. Um, yeah, she's great, and <laughs> we'll get into this. We'll, we'll transition into Scream Five. Like Corey and I will do. We, Corey and I have seen it, and so we'll we'll give like a spoiler free discussion of Scream Five. But it was so funny to me when I was watching it in the theater, Corey. And I don't know if you felt this way. But I was watching and I was like, man, it's really great that they actually got like a bunch of teens for this scream. It's not like 30 year olds who late 20s, 30 year olds who like just look, it didn't even look like teens in the 90s. But, you know, like, you know, felt like teens. And then I looked up Jasmine Savoy Brown. She's like 27. I was like, oh, never mind. I just It's ridiculous. But but I will say in the last like decade or so in movies that are centered around teens or high school or anything like that, I do find that the teens look more youthful than the teens that were in the 80s and the 90s uh, movies, especially the 90s ones because the 90s ones was all like (laughs) was all like late 20s actors really looking for work (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and like when you got kind of pigeonholed in that like high school mode for mold for a while in the 90s i feel like um yeah so anyway that's a great transition though into the new scream movie Corey. uh what would you like to share about that in a spoiler free way before we kind of talk about our history with the franchise yeah i mean i was i was mega hyped about it um i tried not to get too hyped up about it until like really leading up and then re-watching the movies you know because i just yeah for me a new scream movie is just a huge reason to be excited. I just love these movies. I love going to them. So I, all I'll really say is that, um, I didn't really set any expectations cause I just didn't, I just wanted it to be fun. I just wanted it to just be a good screen movie. And I thought that they made a really damn good screen movie. Um, that really made me laugh. It really surprised me. And, they, they pulled out some things that I wasn't expecting. I mean, that's the same thing as saying surprise. Um, but just, they just, I don't know. They they really, I felt like they got the tone of it uh, uh, a bit. And I just had such a great time uh, watching it. And just after it was over, I was just like, that's a great screen movie. I'm very happy. I just walked out very happy. 
Yeah, I, uh, I'm i fully on board with everything you're saying. I completely agree. I think the tone is probably like the toughest thing to match. I mean, you're taking over a franchise where all four films have been directed by Wes Craven. Three of them are written by Kevin Williamson. You know, there's really just one kind of variation in that writing and directing team in right. that franchise. And so to hit that tone, that right balance of, you know, a little bit of laughs, a little, a lot of scares. I like that it's kind of back to a bit of a grittier, more blood, scarier, which we really saw in Scream 4. But like, you know, it was, you know, two, but really three were pretty bloodless. And so not that like I have to see a ton of blood in my horror films, but it just it felt more like a slasher and, and that Scream franchise when when that was back in it. And um you know, there's like a lot of things folks will, folks will say where, oh, it's about, you know, toxic fandom. It's about like the requel legacy sequel thing. It's about elevated horror. That was like, I didn't read much, but I would see like, you know, people's tweets and stuff that would say it's about X, Y, or Z. And I think that that's true, but it's also like a little vague when you say it's like about. And so I'd say like the movie is criticizing toxic fandom. It's satirizing the legacy requel legacy sequel reboot sequel you know trend and then it's taking the piss out of elevated horror basically uh and i don't think that i don't think that gives anything away i think it uh touches on like kind of all the bases that they're doing um and the one thing i do want to say if anyone is excited as i was when i watched the film that everybody's favorite is back that's right red right hand <laughs> is back <laughs> after being missing in scream four it has come back uh into the into the movie done really in a really wet, fun way and i think the first time it was ever diegetically done right yes i'm pretty sure yeah yeah I think yeah. yeah i think you're right yeah so that's something to look forward to that i don't think spoils anything about the movie but that red right hand is back in scream five so that's exciting or I guess does it count that it's in the opening credits of Stab at the beginning of Stab Two, when they're walking into the theater? Oh, you're you know what? That is a really good point. That would be diegetic. Okay, not the first time it was done diegetically, but <laughs> it's back. But yeah, to bet, but to back you up on Scream Five with that, um, it had bite. It had as yeah. much bite as Scream has had since probably the first one. Like it just, mm. it kind of just really went after some things and some topics and the violence. It's definitely the most violent out of all five of them. I felt like they really went yeah. for the the blood and gore on this one and such, but not in like a super over the top way. They just kind of really just like, okay, let's, let's get into it. So I mm-hmm. it definitely had some bite, which was a welcome thing to have back in screen. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree uh i actually saw it twice did you see it more than once or just the once no i would i i i'm considering (laughs) going back to see it again because i desperately want to and there's nothing really coming out until the batman in a month so Mm -hmm. yeah that's basically how i felt i i scream was the first movie i went and saw in theaters for a long time uh and then I ended up seeing the new Spider-Man after that. And then I was like, I just want to go back and watch Scream again. So. 
do not blame you. <laughs> and I mean, every time I went, like I'm going, I mean, I've had a little bit of time, be- like as I'm in a, like a work transition right now. And so it's it's been nice to be able to go to like a matinee on a weekday and there's two other people in the theater and I feel super safe not having to like you know worry about being anywhere near anybody else so it was uh yeah it was it was great the second time around because and i'm sure this will be something we get into but one of the my favorite things about this franchise is the rewatchability which seems ridiculous because you think well these are kind of whodunits as soon as you know who the killers are it doesn't it's not nearly as like fun i totally agree i totally disagree excuse me because every time I've rewatched the films uh, from watching. It's like I noticed all these little things, like the way a line is said when you don't know who it is versus how you, when you do know who it is, it just so changes your perspective on it and everything. So it's, it's um, a lot of fun to watch the the new one for a second time and really all of them for a second time. I totally agree because um, uh, it's actually funny with, uh, with Scream 4. The first time I saw Scream 4, I didn't like it. And I went back like a week later because I was like, man, did I re- was I really not feeling it that much? Was it really? And I went back and I started the second time and I was like, oh my God, this is great. What the, what was my problem a week ago? I have no idea why I wasn't into this movie because this is great. So I enjoyed it the second time when I already knew where things are going to go. And actually, uh, and speaking of that, when you get to watch it back and look for the things that you didn't notice, usually that has to do with now you know who the killers are. You're mm-hmm. watching them and what they're doing and man... I didn't notice it until this time rewatching Scream 4. And I've watched it a bunch of times now. But there's a amazing moment when when Gail goes up to the the film the film nerds, the Culkin mm-hmm. and the and the videographer guy. And yep. she and she's like, I want you guys to help me catch the killer. The next shot after she says that is a reaction shot of Rory Culkin. And yep. his or no, is it Kieran Culkin? It's the it's one of the Culkin kids. It's one of the Culkins. But Charlie, Charlie's his yes, Charlie, his subtle reaction mm-hmm. is is amazing. It's just a, it's such a shit eating grin kind of like look, but it's so so subtly played that you wouldn't pick up on it until you see the movie again. It's so good. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, there's actually it's, I noticed something really uh, for this time when I rewatched Scream and I was like, oh, I love it. Or Scream 4, excuse me. Uh, and I guess I should say to our audience, like we're spoiling the first four screams because <laughs> it's been it's been either 11 to 25 years. So I think you've had time. But like Scream 5, we're keeping spoiler free. So anyway, but when I rewatched Scream 4, I realized the very first word spoken to Jill, who is the other killer besides Charlie, is... Before you get in my car, my car, promise me you won't kill me. It's like it's a character saying, "Please don't kill me," even though it's done in like a joking manner. And I was like, "Oh, this is brilliant! I love it." Fun. Stuff. Uh, anyway, so we'll dive into all that as we discuss the films. Because what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about our history with the franchise. Uh, then we're going to discuss our scream rankings, how we would rank them, you know, in our favorite order. But then we're going to get into the draft, ladies and gentlemen. And in the draft for Scream, we are each going to draft an opening from one of the first four films, a finale, a killer or killers, uh, a main character cast member, and that's between Sidney Prescott, Gail Weathers, and Dewey Riley, and a side character from any of the first four films. So uh, that'll all be coming up. Uh, but before we get into that, let's start with our history uh, with the franchise. Um Nick, I know Corey and I have been chatting, chatting, chatting <laughs> away here as we talk about the new movie, so I don't want to just like leave you on the sidelines. Uh, why don't you start us off with like your history with uh, the Scream franchise and, and what it means to you? Okay, uh, sure. Yeah, actually, um, 
so interesting having you guys lead off with um, the analysis. I think you guys touched upon the first four in addition to the review of the five um, of number five and um, point taken about seeing the movies twice. Um, every time I've seen these movies, it's been about a gap of 10 years between them and I've forgotten mm-hmm. everything about them by that point. So, I, I mean, I, I haven't, I honestly haven't watched them that many times and each time it's like watching it for the first time. Um, nice. I'm jealous. It, That's I, I wish I could experience each of those movies like that again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I guess it's interesting. I really remembered nothing about them uh, on this rewatch. I think I'd seen the first three, you know, two or three times, and I'd seen four once prior to this and mm-hmm. rewatched all four in the last week or so. Um, and so I don't know. I like. I wish I'd had the experience also though, where I, where I, where I can go back. Like maybe I'll next week I'll go see it, but it's too late for this podcast. So whatever. Um, but I'll watch through the, the first four again um, and see if my experience is different because I've had a very mixed relationship with this franchise. Uh, I feel like I'm going to get a lot of shit on this for this episode, not mixed in that. I dislike the movies. I love all four of the first, fourth time i haven't seen the fifth one i love all four of those screen movies but i never have found them as like memorable or like iconic as i think a lot of people who maybe experienced them for the first time in a different way than i did um Mm -hmm. i didn't see scream one and scream two until scream three was about to come out so i watched the first three pretty much i think i saw scream three on opening day in theaters so i I had just watched one and two prior to that so the impact of like the meta slasher, I think, had even by Scream Three faded a little bit. Like there was Urban Legend, and there was all this like you know, and so the I think the um, what is the word um, the novelty of it maybe by that point didn't register with me as much, um, and uh, and beyond that, yeah, it's like they're really fun whodunits. They're funny. I love the characters. I think they're great movies. Um, I have nothing bad to say about any of them. I think just for whatever reason, like maybe it's the frequency I've seen them, but all four really now, um, they kind of like bleed together for me. Um, it's, mm. I find them to be just, and maybe that's the intention. I know it's like, you know, it's a consistent storyline. They do a pretty good job with that, but um, something about <clears throat> the locations, like suburbia, most of the, you know, horror takes place in like, pretty like upper middle class housing um like the houses look similar there's always this you know the high school or college involved and they feel the same which is good for a franchise it's great but for me um i think i'd have to see them more frequently in order to really delineate one from another um and as it happens i just like they they blend together um which is not a negative or a positive it's just hard for me to like like this draft should be interesting (laughs) because like we're picking things based on the movies themselves. And I just, my knowledge of each individual one is spotty. I'd say, <laughs> to be honest, I'm just going to be Frank. Well, I wonder if they bleed together. Cause it sounds like, I mean, I don't know when the last time you'd watched them before this recent one was, but you watched all three or the, all three together when you led up to the third one coming out in theaters. And then we just forced you to watch them all together at the same time again to prepare for this. So it sounds like you're constantly watching them in like a marathon sort of fashion. And I wonder if that's causing some of the bleed together. That's actually a really fair point. That's true. Yeah. I think the last time I saw the scream movies was when four came out. So, Oh, there you go. (laughs) Every 10 years when they release a new scream movie, I'll revisit the franchise and 
do a mm-hmm. marathon. But um, no, it's like it sounds. Bad. I love Wes Craven. I love all of his movies, and I think you know the first. I can't speak for the fifth one, but the first four screen movies are all probably among his best work. Um, maybe with the exception of three, which we'll get to. But um, but I just can't like. I don't know. I don't know what it is about it. Um, I don't think I felt this way. Like kind of. I feel like I'm less enthusiastic about it than everyone else I speak to. And certainly now that social media is a thing mm-hmm. and I'm connected with all of these horror fans online, um, the build up towards Scream 5 was like deafening, you know, as deafening as something can be when no one's actually speaking out loud. <laughs> but like, <laughs> it was a lot of hype. And I was excited. He's only talking about me in a different text thread because I could not <laughs> stop talking about Scream for a solid month. <laughs> so this is literally just about me. <laughs> no, I honestly, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking purely of Instagram, but that's fair too. Yeah, there was a lot of conversations going on about Scream 5 uh, among our friends too. Um, you know, I wonder I if know. why there's a lot of buildup for a new Scream, especially this new one, as compared to something like, say, Halloween Kills that came out like a few months ago. Uh, I wonder if it is because you don't know who the killers are. I, I so there's 100%. so much more debate and curiosity. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I love about the franchise. I think that's its strongest. I mean, apart from its, you know, sort of meta commentary on the genre um, mm-hmm. and itself even. Um that I think is what makes it like wholly unique among horror f- franchises for sure. Um, yeah. Like I'm a fan of the Halloween franchise. I still haven't seen Halloween kills. It's um, mm-hmm. I, I just, I'm going to, when I want to, but the drive to see it for me, um, it's different when it's a whodunit. Cause you really need to be among the first to see it before it gets spoiled for you. Or so you can be part of that conversation while it's still fresh. Um, that is exciting. There's like a social element to seeing these films um, that, isn't necessarily there with like it's a different kind of social element when you watch halloween like you know you gather together at someone's birthday party or something and you stay up late and you watch the movie it's not the same kind of thing where you're expected to have like kind of a conversation about what you thought and who the killer was and did you expect it and were there clues and that's what comes with every new scream entry um mm-hmm. and that is i cannot think of another franchise where that happens i think um you know with Halloween, like, there's no mystery. You know who the killer is going to be. You know more or less what his MO is going to be and who he's going to go after and how it's going to play out. Um, the only thing that's different about the other slasher franchises, and which is kind of cool about Scream, is 90% of the Scream kills are done with the same weapon. <laughs> you know, um, it's not... I, I like that about the Scream franchise a lot. Um, it's not, you know, Michael walking into a room and finding a sharp object in there that he can use. Um, you know, this guy walks around the guy or guys or whatever in the scream franchise. It's, it's the same, you know, I think I can think of like two kills in the scream franchise offhand where, you know, he uses the environment as like, as a weapon, the garage door yeah, almost twice. I guess he does it in four too. I keep saying yeah. he, which is awful because it's uh, not always the case yes um yeah. anyway yeah um i 100 percent agree and think there's almost no argument to be made i think that's what the excitement is with every scream movie is is like who's it? i mean they played it up on the scream 5 poster like the killer is on this poster great yeah. tagline and they're yeah. just like yeah it's playing right into that and i thought that was very <laughs> clever yeah i'm yeah, talking too much no 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 that's, no uh, yo 
I uh, yeah, the marketing for the new Scream has been phenomenal. I think that's probably also plays a big part, in, you know, into it. They're really playing into the fans, and you know, I'm sure an argument can be made that maybe it's like fan servicey in a in a way. But you know, that that's sort of kind of. I think they they recognize what the benefit was of of marketing it the way they did because that was what is getting a lot of people interested and in a lot of talk online. Um, you know, that's fair, and I actually wonder what would happen if like. Because another thing that's I I think is pretty unique about this mo- franchise, especially five movies deep into it, is that you know the main three characters, and we're gonna get to this, are in all five. There's they have mm. not skipped a single one, and like they are very likable characters. Um, all three of them. Yeah. It's gonna be a tough draft for that round. Um, and I'd be I'd be genuinely curious, like if Scream Five was really a reboot, um and maybe mention those three characters in passing, but like those actors and actresses did not make an appearance. I wonder what, you know, the box office would have been. I wonder what the hype leading up to it would have been like. Um, Hmm. And I also wonder like why that wasn't necessarily there for four. You know, it was the same gap between three and four. And, you know, Mm -hmm. it's interesting that four didn't perform as well. And like five is doing great right out of the gate. Um, Pretty fascinating. I don't know. Be curious to hear what you guys think about that, but yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, it's funny because like you even mentioned, Corey, when you first saw Scream 4, you were like a little disappointed in it. I think there was a lot of disappointment. Uh, I think most people didn't get over it as quickly as you did, where you went back a week later and were like really into it. Um, I think a lot of people were really bummed with Scream 4 for some reason for a while. I, I don't know what I could if I could put my finger on what it is. Because, and this is, I think, something we'll see without the entirety of the franchise. Like looking back, it was very ahead of its time. And and in the same way that three, when you look at back on it, is very ahead of its time, or at least was commenting on things that were probably known in the Hollywood circles, but maybe not to a grander audience. Um, and so some of the themes in both three and four, I think, uh, uh, really resonate more today than maybe they did even uh, at the time. Um, but yeah, I don't know. What do you, what are, what are your thoughts on that, Corey? Yeah, with four, um, four definitely has like a renewed appreciation within the last few years. Like now, whenever I hear anybody talk about four, I hear like nothing but positivity about it. Like everybody mm-hmm. seems to like really enjoy it now. Um, and I don't want to get into rankings yet or anything like that. Um, but in terms of like when it came out, yeah, cause it was like, you know, cause you talk about. Uh, you know, I know in the movie they use the term requel. I've always used the term rebootquel. And mm. while Scream 5 is obviously a rebootquel, Scream 4 was also a rebootquel. It was one mm-hmm. of the first. It, it's funny, another friend of ours um, that we went to school with, uh, we were talking about this recently. We were trying to identify like the earliest examples of like what the rebootquel was. And I said, Scream 4 is definitely one of the earlier examples. Another like really early example would be like Superman Returns. But even in that, but in that case, you're not bringing back actual actors that were in a previous version. Mm-hmm. Um, but like horror, I think was in transition at the at when when you started going into the 2010s. Like you're coming out of like the torture porn and straight up remake era. You know, when they were actually just ripping off the previous movies and just making them these, like, platinum dunes, hard, edgy, music video-looking type remakes. And then, 
Mm-hmm. It's like horror didn't like start like taking off again until James Wan really got settled in with like the Conjuring franchise, and then studio horror started getting bigger and bigger as you started to get from like 2013 to 2015. So I just think like I just think like horror was in like an awkward time around like 2011, and it was like a sequel that was coming like 11 years later, and people didn't have a fondness for the third movie, and I mm-hmm. it, I think I think people. I think people at the time were just kind of like, why? Like, why bother? Like, why now? And I just think, and then it came out like, it came out like in April. It was like a weird time for it to like come out in the release calendar. And it just, I don't know. It just didn't, it just didn't have all the right things going for it at the time. And only, only now later has it actually gotten some, some recognition that it, that it, that it should have. Yeah. And it's really interesting because I agree. Like I was thinking too about like, what was the first legacy sequel reboot qual etc and i was thinking scream 4 2 is the earliest i can think of which is funny because that movie is kind of uh making fun of remakes and torture porn the two things you just mentioned right, right. with like saw 4 oh that sucked and then like um you know making fun of all the remakes and everything um and that's kind of at the tail end right because you had like 03 is Chainsaw, 2009 is Friday, 2010 is Nightmare on Elm Street. So this is coming like literally in 2011, right on the tails of some of the big, two big franchises getting their uh, remakes, basically, and the end of that torture porn swing. Halloween. And then I feel like, oh yeah, oh yeah, 07 yeah, and 09, yeah. right? Yeah, you're right. Sorry, yeah, how did I skip over I know. I mean, there yeah. were two I know what? Stepfather, I think, Prom Night. Yeah, when a Stranger Stepfather, calls. Prom Night. The first Black Christmas remake, right. Sorority Row. <laughs> They've done more um, than one of those. <laughs> I mean, we're just doing the Kirby phone call right now, where she's just like, where they're like, what remake of? And she just lists like 40 titles. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. My Bloody Valentine, if you didn't already say it. Um, All right. Yeah, there was just, there was so many. And so you're right. It does seem weird that it's essentially a reboot call coming out in the tail of all this. But it was also the start of the that transition not just to like the James Wan horror films which obviously that was there too and but the transition to like um a lot of paranormal horror work was coming out around that time where we were transitioning into that so obviously the conjuring and stuff but like insidious and sinister and paranormal activity like all of these were like right happening at that time Mm -hmm. and also there was the whole new meta narrative that you were getting with like cabin in the woods that same year which had actually sat on the shelf for a while before it got released in 2011 so you know and i don't remember i don't know which one had come out first or whatever but you know i'm sure at the time scream 4 even as much as it was doing new things it felt a little stale um in a way that you know maybe some of those earlier remakes and stuff didn't um, because they were just, you know, more on the cutting edge of that, that movement. But, but then, yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to step on you. Um, no, but no. then, um, but then even then, like, even though it was kind of picking up the scraps there, it almost was like foretelling the things that were to come. Like it was like ahead of mm-hmm. the curve and, and how it was describing just certain interactions and situations that were happening within Scream 4 that weren't just commenting on remakes, but it was also talking about, you know, it was talking about legacy quills before we even, before we even really got there with, uh, with, you know, Force Awakens and Jurassic World and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh well, Corey, actually, why don't you... We got, like, kind of Nick's history with the franchise and, and Wes Craven. I'd, I'd love to hear your your history. 
yeah, I'll try not to ramble about this. Um, yeah, like Scream and I guess more to a real point, Wes Craven kind of just was something I just discovered him and Elm Street and Friday the 13th. And I know he didn't do Friday the 13th, obviously, but like those were like my first like gateways into like horror. And like right after I had first seen Friday the 13th, I watched uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare. I was like 10. I fell in love with that movie. I must have watched that movie I had my parents rent that movie from the video store for like six months, like every week for like six months. They must have bought that tape like five times over. Um, and I would just watch and watch and watch. And then uh, New Nightmare was technically the first screenplay I ever wrote because I'm at 10 years old just writing the movie down. I was just so obsessed with that movie and everything about it that I was just literally writing it out. And... um you know, cut to two years later and Scream's coming out on home video. Didn't see that in the theater. I wasn't really aware of it when it was coming out. I mean, I was only like 12, but I didn't have the internet at the time. I only really had uh, my Entertainment Weekly subscription. Um, So then I saw Scream when it came out on home video in the summer of 97 and it just blew my mind, just blew me away. The, The intro, the reveal, just all that stuff. It just blew me away and just kind of on like a this is funny this is kind of touching upon what you were talking about nick with like the novelty being worn off with like the meta stuff and everything like that and how that might have impacted how you saw the movies when i first saw scream i hadn't seen like enough like horror yet i didn't even seen halloween yet so like a lot of like the meta stuff was completely over my head didn't even know what meta was and i had already watched west craven's new nightmare which is a complete meta movie i just understood it as the movie that pretends to take place in real life but with scream a lot of the meta stuff was lost on me um it was just really just for the pure visceral thrill of just what was happening in the frame that just completely captivated me and then i watched that movie an insane number of times that summer it was the same summer that my parents got our first video camera And some of the very first things that I was starting to make on my own, I was sticking my cousins in a ghost face costume that I got at the Steeplegate Mall (laughs) at the Spencer Gifts. And I'm having my cousins put on the ghost face costume and stab each other on camera and kill each other. My cousins are all less than 10 years old. I'm like 12. I'm murdering them on camera. And then by the time Scream 2 comes out that December, I'm there opening night because it's like my birthday. And I'm like, all I want to do is see Scream 2. So like Scream the Scream and Wes Craven just like came along as I was going from a kid and into being a teenager and I was starting to kind of just like figure out the things that I wanted to do and I don't know. So Wes Craven was just kinda of like right there, like when I was starting to realize that I wanted to do this kind of stuff. Like I wanted to make movies, I wanted to make horror movies, I wanna make scream. I love Wes Craven's nightmare. I'm like literally the first things that I'm ever doing filmmaking wise is ripping off and copying Wes Craven and Kev, you know and Kevin Williamson can't not mention mm-hmm. Kevin Williamson since his script is is brilliant so just I feel like a lot of kids from our generation probably first fell in love with movies because of like growing up like watching like Spielberg stuff seeing E.T. Jurassic Park uh, Indiana Jones so I feel like a lot of us love movies because of Steven Spielberg in a sort of a way but I feel like for me, Wes Craven was almost was probably the first filmmaker to like make me want to make these movies. It just it just came out at a time that was super impressionable. 
I guess impressionable. I'm not out trying to murder people, but um, it just came <laughs> along at just a time that, I don't know, just an important time in my life. I just, I can't, I guess I can't overstate just how important Wes Craven and Scream and Wes Craven's Your Nightmare and those movies are to me. They're just, yeah, just awesome stuff. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I'm 100% with you because uh, we're sort of of the generation that it hit at that really impressionable time. You know, it came to theaters when I was 11, um, and I remember watching Scream. It must have been about six months later. There was a, a girl in my class who was older than me. She was having her 12th birthday party. And Scream is really like the first, at least that I can remember, and granted I have a bad memory, but um, the first like horror movie I really remember like watching because, you know, prior, I mean, grown up horror film, I guess I should say, <laughs> you know, prior to that, you know, I remember being like eight or nine at a sleepover at my buddy Derek's house and they put in like Leprechaun and I couldn't even make it through the opening credits where you hear his like laughing as it's like <laughs> doing panning shots of like the cellar or whatever it was. I was like too freaked out. And I remember seeing the the VHS cover of uh, The Destroyer with like I think Lyle Alzado holding like the jackhammer like facing you and I was like freaked out by that too. You know, I was kind of like a little scaredy cat a little bit when it was like when i was like that age um i mean there was like a fascination but i was still like you know scared but then you know i started getting like goosebumps and like fear street and then watching are you afraid of the dark and stuff like that as i was like 10 11 you know that age so when we went over to this uh 12th birthday party and i'm still i guess 11 at the time and i remember her dad purchased it not purchased but like rented it on video on demand through like their satellite provider you know back in back in the day when you had to do it that way instead of through your internet and we we watched it as part of like her 12th birthday party and i remember being like blown away and i remember being scared at the time but like not too scared because i'm watching with this group of kids you know speaking of like and by the way this is just a sign of the time that would never happen (laughs) now had like a 12 year old's birthday party that her parents just put on like scream without checking with any other parents if it was okay <laughs> to put on an r-rated horror movie for them uh anyway so it was like oh my god this is amazing and that really was like my horror awakening so to speak and i remember uh steve getting his guts slit open and seeing those guts fall out and being like oh my god like you can do that so and she rented like a- the director's cut or it must have been because she rented I, I mean, the director's but, cut. Know. That's the only well, time I had ever seen the director's cut um, was in the summer '97 on pay per view. That's how you oh, could watch it, and that's the that's the version where you see Steve's guts fall out. So yeah. you got oh. to you got to see the director's cut the first time you saw the movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I remember the guts falling out and being like, "What?" Yeah. And then I had a because I was remember thinking too, like, "How do they do that?" And I was thinking like is it spaghetti that they make look with fake blood and like whatever. And then it became like, Oh, how do you do special effects? How do you do blah, blah. And then I'm watching the horror films. Like, and it was a curiosity and fascination with the films, but also just with how they're made and how you do those things. And then getting all into Tom Savini. Cause I realized, Oh, he's like one of the Kings and oh, we share a birthday. Oh, Holy crap. Like I got to like, you know, everything about Savini, you know? And, uh, and then that just like, brought me down this line of horror to the point where later that year when i turned 12 basically my one of my birthday gifts from my parents was they went to the local video store and were like look 
he's 12 put a note on the account he can rent whatever he wants i don't care i don't care if it's r whatever and then it's just carte blanche then i'm just renting all the horror movies and like you know you know filling in that education but yeah scream was the first one that really just opened that door because we we're just of that age where it hit at that right time and was that uh, intro to the horror genre or at least horror films uh for me so yeah that was that's my experience with screaming i'm very jealous of you nick that you saw three in theaters because i didn't see one in theaters until four because as much as i could go to the video store to rent once my parents weren't going to bring me to go see scream three in the theater like they'd have to like say yeah he's with me come on in you know and they weren't going to do that yeah my dad had uh, to come with me yeah yeah he was a good so, sport about it that's nice yeah so it's funny yeah because uh i have such a like fondness for that franchise yeah you saw one of them in theaters before me so anyway but Two yeah that's, was like uh, that's... a rock concert i went to scream Two. <laughs> oh you went and saw that i went to see scream Two on opening night i i because it came out like like five days like after my birthday and i was like all i want to nice. do is see scream Two. i just want to go see mm-hmm. scream Two. and my mom was like okay i'll buy you and your best friend your tickets i'll go with you buy the tickets you two go in and i'll come back and pick you up and we went and it was sold out and everybody mm-hmm. there was there to see that movie was there to be excited about that movie and everybody loved it and it was it's still today one of my favorite movie going experiences because the just nice. the whole auditorium was just rowdy and there for that movie and everybody enjoyed every frame of it and it was just so cool yeah i mean that opening seems so like not dated but it's just like movies aren't like that when you go to see movies like now but man back in the 90s movies were rowdy like i remember being in like jurassic park and independence day and there's just whoops and cheers and claps constantly i mean it was so much louder in a theater back then just so much more rowdy yeah I, it wasn't it wasn't quite like the stab scene at the beginning of the movie but <laughs> yeah, but yeah. people were there was like you know there, there was like a moment you know the scene where uh ghostface is chasing gail through the 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 sound booths and everything mm-hmm. that set piece and everything and they get the point where ghostface is throwing stuff at the the soundproof glass to break and he throws the chair and someone in the back of the theater was like hey that was my fucking chair or something like that <laughs> just like everybody that was there was just there to just partake in the movie it was so cool yeah yeah do you guys do you guys remember going to movies and then being sold out and being turned away oh and yeah not being able to yeah yep oh man i think my parents were more upset because they would sometimes go to drop us off to like get us out of their hair for a couple hours and so when it was sold out they would be a little bummed oh phantom menace on opening night i was devastated <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that was a big deal i when revenge of the sith came out i remember like i went to the theater for some reason earlier in the day on that thursday or whatever um to see something else and when i walked out i ran into some friends and it was a huge group of them. And I was like, what is going on? They're like, we're all going to see Revenge of the Sith later on. We already have our tickets. And I was like, fuck, that would be fun. Let me go see. And they're like, no, we're sold out. And then like five minutes later, they're like, every show is sold out. We're adding another show. So I ran in and bought a ticket. And um, Oh, nice. But like, yeah, they like added another show. And there's like so many experiences theater-wise. This is not, well, actually, it's not on the topic of horror. Although the, the example I, I have is um, The Orphanage. Like, one thing that you don't have with like DCP and stuff is like people messing up the projection. And there's always like, like I went to see the orphanage uh, in theaters and there was probably 10 or 12 people in that theater. It was not crowded. 
but it's a subtitled movie and they were projecting it in the wrong ratio. So everything oh. was stretched and the <laughs> subtitles were not on the screen. So you couldn't see oh. anything and no one got angry or left. <laughs> so I walked out and I was furious and I was like, I need my money back. Like this is like, or just, or just start the movie over. And they're like, we can't do that. Sorry. So yeah. like that would never happen again. There was like, I don't know. Every single time you went to the movies in the nineties, it was like, or in oh, that yeah. case, like 2004 or whatever. It was, it was like, you never knew what was going to happen. It was an experience. Something. Kill Bill yeah, Volume yeah. 2 the... opening night was like my best theater movie going experience of all time. Which one was that? Kill Bill Sorry. Volume 2. Um, oh, nice. And that was kind nice. of, it had the scream element only in that like, you know, it wasn't like a mystery, but people wanted to know exactly how this was going to end. It had been six months. Mm-hmm. The theater was packed full. It was weird. I didn't expect the demographic to be all teenagers, but it was, so it was a little bit rowdy. That shit is fun. I miss that. Now it's like, I go to the movie theater, I'm afraid it's going to be too rowdy and people are going to be loud and I won't hear anything. And it's like, back then, yeah. that was the excitement. That, that was my worry. Well, we going were the kids s- back then. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's why it was fun. <laughs> that was my worry going to see Scream 5 because when I went to see Scream 5, I went and started at like noon time at noon mm-hmm. on opening day. So just right there in the middle of the day, there weren't that many people in there. And I was like, ah, I was like, I, I wish I could have gone to like the opening night when maybe there would have been a few more people there, which is the opposite of what I should be hoping for in these times. But <laughs> yeah. I was kind of like, I like people to be in the movie to see screams. I like to feed off of like what everybody else is reacting. So I was a little bit like, all right, there's not many people in here. So I was just going to, and I went by myself and everything, but it was great. Just like 10 seats over. There was like another couple probably around like same age or whatever like that. And just from the first scene on, I could pick up their vibe. And I was like, oh, these guys are totally like old school Scream fans. They're here. They're here to enjoy it. And like they were like reacting almost like exactly the same way that I was reacting to like the whole movie. So I felt like I at least had a few other people there that I was sharing the experience with the ups and the downs and the, oh, no, oh, my God, what's happening? Yeah. So that stuff's important with these type of movies. And I totally yeah, see this franchise no. as like probably the king of that, of the shared experience. I wish I'd had more of those with this franchise. Seeing them alone is not the same. That's probably another factor. And like, and again, I love all four movies. I just don't, I haven't seen them enough. And, and there's not that same level of excitement when a new one comes out. Um, but yeah, I think even between four and five, like, the theater going experience for everybody I think has probably changed quite a bit. Um, and like that excitement maybe is not there. Like I remember not even before, not that long before four, like when a movie came out, like there was no advanced ticket sales. If you got to the theater, you got there early and there was a line around the freaking block for a big release. And like everyone was online mm-hmm. and they were anxious and they were like, are we going to get a seat? Are we not going to get a seat? And they're all talking about the movie and like what they expect and like, that was the best part of the movie going experience for me that like that thing that got you hyped up for the film um it's a little bit different now like buying a ticket you know because you have assigned seats now you have assigned seats so you don't have to show up to imax right five hours early because you want to (laughs) sit in the middle of the middle to have the best seats you know that that's probably Mm -hmm. the last time i did that was the midnight showing of dark knight rises and I stood in line for like eight hours to make sure I could have literally the best spot in the IMAX theater. And it's just like, so like that stuff was fun. I don't miss the extremes of like that one, but 
yeah, I don't miss standing in line for like two or three hours, but a little bit of like just like waiting to get in and all that. Yeah, it's just there's something about the camaraderie of like going to like, you know, it's the same thing with like people who went and saw the new Spider-Man. That was a great movie to go see with other people in the theater, mm-hmm. especially anybody who was a Spider-Man fan and grew up on the movies of the last 20 years and everything like that. It was just another one of those shared experience type movies. Right. That's true. Yeah. I was thinking about this when Corey was talking about four. Um, I'm curious what you feel like. Cause I, I, everywhere I've seen refers to four as like a reboot quill as well. But apart from like the gap between three and four, is there any other reason you would call it a reboot, a reboot call? I mean, like in every other sense, I feel like it's a sequel. Like the three main characters are back continuity wise. It takes place, you know, like 10 or 11 years after. Right. I mean, and, and, and the thing is between one, two and three, like again, apart from those three characters, like there aren't that many returning characters in that series. I mean, Randy, maybe. Um, but apart from that, I feel like every movie is different anyway. So what is it about four? I think with four, they return to Woodsboro, which the first time you come back to Woodsboro since the first movie, I think that's the first biggie. That's a good um, And then after that, it kind of goes into a little bit of their commentary, like when they go to the movie club and they talk about like where things are going to happen. So it's just like, okay, so the finale is at a party. That's where the bloodbath's going to be. That's a really good so point. they're almost they're almost calling out how the movie's gonna play out, but then they pull the rug out from underneath you, and they, and they you know they talk about that as it goes along. But it's true that like it doesn't have because it because it wasn't. I know it it is interesting because like they were already coming back, they were already still alive, so it doesn't quite hold the legacy quill card that it is to see like. Uh, Mark Hamill and Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford coming back or Jamie Lee Curtis coming back or or any of that stuff but um I think I think it is just those it, it's just a little bit ahead of its time to where it covers a little bit of it and that's why it kind of like rides that line where it's it's rebuquel but it's also remakes because it spends most of its time sending up the remakes yeah it's 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 a I, I would call scream for a prototype. <laughs> Mm-hmm. No, those are actually really all fantastic points. I'd never considered that. Yeah. And it's not just that it's back in Woodsboro. It's actually focusing on high school students again. Yeah. And it's introducing this whole new cast of them, which, granted, they pretty much all get killed off. But I don't believe that was the original plan. And you might know more about that, Corey. I thought Kevin Williamson had a plan for, like, a new trilogy. And that, I believe, would have had Jill surviving, right? And going on to be the new killer. And then it was basically the Bob Weinstein who forced that hospital scene at the end. Is that correct? Is that how it... I, I actually don't I, know about that. The only thing that I do know is that they had loosely... That Williamson had loosely considered, like, like a trajectory for, like, four, like five and six. Like, what would have, like, okay. spun off from that. Um hmm. I don't know anything about like the hospital oh. scene being um like some sort of like new ending that they shot. Um I'd be curious about that because I guess it's just like if cuz you never had a you've never had a killer survive to go on to the next movie. Like how does that You've never yeah. that, that's actually you've never had a killer survive to go on to the next movie and you've never had a f- 
you've never had a previous character become one of the killers in the movies either. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Which I think, uh, which that, I think well, might be a, like a little too I shouldn't too far. say something like that, but um, that, I guess that could be construed as spoilerish. I guess. No, not really. I don't know. Pretend I never said anything. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm taking people off the board. I don't want to take people off the board for the new one or anything like that. Oh, oh, oh! I, I see, I see what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so okay. So take what I said with a grain of salt. I've been listening to a ton of scream podcasts and a ton of like kevin williamson interviews on podcasts and they've all kind of blended together much like nick's viewings of the scream (laughs) movies (laughs) um so that might have been conjecture on an episode but i definitely do know that kevin williamson had a plan for four through six like a trilogy and i think he said that five would be sydney was a professor now at a school um which i think makes sense if she's like a writer she's probably teaching like an english department or something somewhere or whatever so it was almost like it was it seemed like almost it was going to be a little bit sort of based upon the high school to college to maybe something else beyond that um trajectory of the of the first three gotcha um yeah but uh well, anyway, we, we've talked a lot about our history with it and, and our uh, love of going to packed movie theaters when we were teenagers and kids and <laughs> the rowdiness of them. Uh, but let's get into our rankings. And what I figure, I mean, it's not going to take us very long to discuss how we would rank them. But then I feel like this is a great time for us to just jump in and discuss the things we love about certain films and why we would rank certain ones above others, etc. So we can kind of expound on it a bit. But Corey, as our guest man, I- I'd love to know how you rank the five films that uh in the are in the scream franchise i feel like most people's probably really aren't ultimately surprising well at least surprising to me is i discover more as the years go as much as like scream 4 like continues to gain appreciation i feel like as the years go Mm -hmm. on scream 2 is kind of going down in other people's books where i absolutely adore scream 2 so like Mm -hmm. i'll quickly rattle them off it's one two a toss-up between four and five and three. Mm. I think probably universally, most people will probably put one at the top and three at the bottom. And then it seems like the other, you know, two, three, and I mean, two, four, and five are kind of like juggled up in there. I absolutely adore two. And I think two is one of just the best sequels ever made, not just like Scream sequel or horror sequel. I think it's one of the best sequels. And then you got four and five that I think... If you ask me right now, I'll put five above four, but I feel like almost like when you can ask me at a certain time what my Friday the 13th rankings, the top and the bottom probably going to stay the same. The middle going to maybe fluctuate a little bit. So on a different year, I might like Scream 4 more than I like Scream 5. I really do think they're kind of like right there. And then Scream 3's kind of just hanging out there at the bottom. I still love, I got love for Scream 3 and it's got some great bits in it and all that, but it's... To me, it's definitely the weakest Scream movie. You know, it's it's interesting you say that because I would normally agree with you. And yet, having listened to so many of these podcasts and being on the Scream subreddit, it surprises me how many people have three as their favorite really? Scream movie. There, there's literally a Scream. It's called the Scream podcast with Ryan C. Showers. And three is his favorite of the franchise. No kidding. And he has on a bunch of people where three is also their favorite. And I'm just like... 
this is wild to me. I don't like. I like him, and I like this podcast. But like, that's crazy to me that you think three is the best of the franchise, or is your favorite, I should say, of the franchise. Um, so yeah, it's it's surprising to hear how many are really big fans of three. Wow. Yeah. Me too. That's yeah. I I got to listen to some of these. I got <laughs> I got to hear some yeah, of this. Yeah. There's been like thirty something episodes. They really get deep. Like one one episode will just be like a specific topic. Like the killers and you know episode four, you know the fourth one yep, or whatever. Okay. So they really get into it, or like Tatum, like Tatum had her own episode, you know that kind of thing. <laughs> he really just go into so, the deep dive. He just yeah, he goes into the deep dive. But uh, Nick, man, I gotta I gotta hear how you rank them. You're the wild card. I was like, if anyone's gonna have a weird ranking, it might be Nick. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Wow, this is tough because I, I agree with Corey. I think like if I watched, and again, I haven't seen the fifth one, so um, I can't speak for that. But mm-hmm. like even the first four, I feel like any rewatch is liable to be a different ranking um like i remember seeing scream one a few times and i'd only seen scream two once until maybe like 10 years ago i saw it for the second time and i remember the first time i saw scream two i loved it and the second time i was really disappointed and rewatching mm. it this week for the third time i loved it again um <laughs> i don't it's think child's play three all over again. it is totally child's play. there's no rhyme or reason for it i think it really has way more to do with like where i'm at in my life and nothing to do with the with that particular movie which is not the case with every movie i see for some reason that's what the scream franchise has done for me i mean if i had to rank them one is obviously first um mm-hmm. honestly four is not that far behind for me i really liked four um and three and two i'm gonna be honest kind of a toss-up i think rose tinted glasses i saw three in theaters it was like the one that i've seen in theaters um you know i saw it with my dad that was fun um but i gotta say there's something I love about three. I recently read, and I think it kind of put its finger right on why I love it. Three is basically Wes Craven's new nightmare. I mean, someone basically said like Wes Craven just remade new nightmare. Um, you know, it's like they're making the movie and the characters from the movie are the actors from the, you know, it's just the, that menace. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I have a really huge, true. huge soft spot for new nightmare. I mean, it's not even a soft spot. I mean, I love that movie. It's great. It's not like it's a bad movie that I love. It's a phenomenal film. And I've always loved mm-hmm. New Nightmare, so I think that element of Scream 3, and I saw it right like, right after I'd seen Evil Dead in 8th grade and decided I wanted to be a filmmaker when I grew up. So seeing a horror movie, my favorite genre, about making a movie was very novel and awesome, and I still haven't gotten over that. Like Every time I revisit Scream 3, I can see why people don't like it and the reveal of the killer and like, he, you know, <laughs> oh, he's, you know... <laughs> Been related to her the whole time and all that shit is you know fine like i i totally agree with those shortcomings but there's so much to like about it for me that really it outweighs a lot of that stuff i mean that franchise is just fun um and i have a blast with all those movies so the little things that you can take away from scream 3 in terms of like quality of storytelling and whatever are far surpassed by all the awesome fun hilarious elements of screen through that i really enjoy every time i watch it and i find more that i like about it every time just you know the the more that i work in this industry or whatever the more i revisit screen three and get a kick out of things that i haven't noticed before i think the hollywood commentary is one of the one of the best aspects of three it's kind of funny how it's another movie that's way ahead of its time like way ahead of mm-hmm. where things really went and talking about like the casting couch and 
and all that. I think the opening of Screen 3 with Cotton Weary is, is another great, strong opening for the series oh. and stuff like that. Like, it, yeah. no, Screen 3 does a lot of, does a lot of really solid things i like i love i love how those movies i'm not trying to take over your spot on your ranking here i'm just oh i'm I done love how no. each one of them i know that you say they bleed together and that's interesting to hear you say that because at the same time because i understand totally where you're coming from but then at the same time i like how each one is almost about something different Mm-hmm. To me, they do have their own thing where, you know, you've got the Scream 3 is really about, like, the making of the movies and the casting couch thing. And the first one sends up, you know, the genre itself. And the second one talks about sequels. And, for, you know, that that's the superficial stuff. But then it really it really does. I think each one really, really does try to tap into the culture of maybe the moment or I don't know. I'm kind of rambling about it. But um. Anyway, I totally that, was, that wasn't a great wrap out to that, but <laughs> no, you're right. You're no, totally no. right. And I think the more I watch the movies, probably the more I will be able to, you know, draw a line between each one. Um, and it's not a bad thing that they blend together for me at all. I, cause I really enjoy all of them. Um, I was just thinking as you were saying that, like one of the things that's so great about the scream movies, um, like not to call it realistic, but it is a slasher movie. And compared to any other slasher movie, it's so great to see a kind of like smart characters, but also, characters who obviously in a meta way are like aware of (laughs) are doing stupid things when they're aware that they're stupid or they talk in other scenes about how these things are stupid um Mm -hmm. you know you have a killer who's not an idiot who runs everywhere like there's it's such a kinetic movie compared to like something like halloween where the killer's Mm -hmm. walking around at a snail's pace and people are hiding in closets and shit like scream is just about characters running and throwing things at each other (laughs) really i mean you have a clumsy killer who falls over himself all the time um Mm -hmm. For that reason alone, I think it's probably one of the best franchises because it really, I mean, never mind the fact that it's comment, it's like actually like, you know, making an ongoing commentary about other elements of slasher movies. It just the way that it plays out, um, everything about it is kind of just like this is the anti-slasher movie. This they have an energy about them. It's just such it, a good screen, energy. Yeah, it's a certain energy that just that is. It's just an engine that just drives those things. Yeah. Yeah. That's my favorite part about yeah. them, I think, now that I'm thinking about it. It's just, like, they're so, like, bouncy and, and just, like, full of energy, as Corey just said. Yeah, like, um, but... That, We're just fun, man. It's, it's it a great, so fun. fun franchise. And, I mean, it is very much, like, so... Uh, it's very much like a... I don't want to say beginner horror franchise, because it seems kind of like a dig almost but no it's like it's so like in board games we have what's called gateway games like games that get you into board Mm -hmm. games so like they're not super complicated and then you like learn more and you get more interested or whatever and scream is very much like the gateway horror franchise i feel like and i I think it's one that got a lot of people of our generation into it and i think with the subsequent sequels especially the ones that are coming later and later and later they're getting new generations into it as well and uh like i'm sure there's plenty of people where scream 4 was the first one they'd ever seen right or that was coming out so they watched all of them to prepare i know that's happening right now with scream 5 because there's different posts constantly on the subreddit where i'm a 13 year old and i want to watch the new ones but i'm going to watch these these ones and these are my thoughts you know kind of thing so it's like every time these sequels hit it's like reintroducing this whole new generations to um the franchise um 
And to the point about, I know a lot of people like shit on Ghostface that he's clumsy and stuff. And you can kick him in the balls or push a bike down the stairs at him or whatever. And he trips over it. And I'm like, that just makes it better to so me. Much better. Like it's so much more realistic. I mean, as realistic as like slasher horror movies right. are, you still have to suspend your disbelief quite a bit, but it's just, you know, I don't watch the Friday the 13th movies because I'm really scared of Jason Voorhees. I watch it because they're kind of comfort food. They're junk food horror movies to me. And they're kind of, I watch them almost like as a comforting thing. Right. Whereas, you know, talking about that kinetic energy and the almost like unexpected nature of the Scream franchise, it's as much as it's a comfort, it is kind of like a different experience than watching a Michael Myers or a Jason Voorhees because these killers are vulnerable. You realize that they're just humans underneath there. And it's how could this other human do this to somebody else? Not this, you know, zombie like killer basically. And that's really good point. Sorry. No, no, no. You go first, Corey. I was just saying, no, because it just, because then, you know, when you're waiting for the reveal, because the reveal is all about the why and what's the motivation. And it's just, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just, and you know, that's just getting into, not to get into any spoilers, but like with five, when it when five arrives at its conclusion and its reveals and stuff like that, the way it revealed itself and 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 the whys and all that stuff just was a home run for me. I loved it. So just like mm-hmm. when you when you just can arrive at the end of a screen movie and then the moment happens and you're just sitting there and you're just like, all right, let's go. We're gonna find out what's happening, and it's such a thrill when it delivers. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Brantley, when you were talking about, like, you even used the word zombie, which I think is, is telling, because I think it's that age-old thing of, like, some people are scared of the running zombies, and some people think that's a total cop-out. They're really afraid of the, the... And it's interesting to sort of transpose that onto the slasher genre, because, again, the, the kinetic nature of these movies and just, like, how fast things move and how fast people move and just... There's motion all the time. Um you even have and like to the point that you even have multiple killers in several of them which gives you twice as much motion in some senses because he can literally be or she on two sides of the house at once and like there's there's always Mm -hmm. that like michael myers isn't gonna like you know he catches up to you all the time but he's always behind you you know in scream (laughs) you might run to the other end of the house and run headfirst into the killer you just ran away from you know in some senses and that's awesome And then right down to the costume design. I mean, like, the ghost face mask is, like, twisted as if he's, like, you know, there's a motion to the mask itself. He has, like, a costume that kind of, like, blows in the wind <laughs> in some senses. Like, it's got streamers on it almost. Um, mm-hmm. There's just, there's motion to everything. And it's it's so, it's such great fun. Um, and I, the clumsiness is not, I, yeah, like, to your point. It doesn't take away from the movie. If anything, it's got this el- tiny element of slapstick, but also makes him vulnerable. Mm-hmm. He's not an invincible. He, I keep saying he because I'm just, but I'm sorry. Like I'm just using that. Most slasher movies <laughs> wind up being a. He. Well, as Dewey would say, most killers are white males. All oh, right, exactly. <laughs> Whoever, but, anybody who has put on one of those ghost face masks will completely understand why every single killer is clumsy in these movies. It is impossible. <laughs> to see clearly out of that let alone at night let alone trying to run from getting murdered or or murdering it doesn't matter you should be tripping over yourself non-stop in that mask i gotta say i also like about the mask that you know right from scream 
one even they, they mentioned that this mask is like a dime store mask you can find everywhere and so they really play that up in a lot of the movies like you know everyone yeah. at the stab premiere is wearing a mask and that's great that's awesome mm-hmm. that's scary in it so i mean that was a, that's a scary scene really when you get right down to it yeah um yeah anyway sorry brantley i want to uh, hear your ranking your, yeah no. i want to hear your rankings yeah oh sure sure so uh a little bit well, I similar, I guess, actually, to more a little bit on your wavelength, Nick. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, Nick. Back when we were did did some of those physical media matters episodes, which we've dropped a couple in our feed, but these were podcasts we recorded like years ago, pre-pandemic. I had told you I'd rewatch the franchise again, and my quote-unquote hot take was that four is my favorite of the sequels. I do remember that, <laughs> and and I stand by that, having rewatched them again or multiple times. It's for me, it's one, four, five two three and let me be very clear like the gap between one and four is bigger than the gap between four and two with those three movies four five two like those are very close together so i don't want to see people thinking two is my second to last one and think i think it's you know (laughs) much worse than four or five or anything like that i i I don't Uh, but that's sort of where my you know thought process is and and especially re-watching them again here, it really hit home because the fourth one, like we said, it's back in Woodsboro. It's high schoolers again. It is very much the most evocative to me of the original Scream. And I feel like, and this is kind of what I was talking about in that Physical Media Matters we did years ago, that there was enough time where it really felt like it was doing something different and doing something new. Whereas, I mean, I know two is obviously about sequels and three is about Hollywood and satirizing, but I mean, two came out like less than a year after the first one premiered. I mean, it was crazy how fast they got the second one out. Yeah, like 50 weeks. And then, yeah. yeah, it was, it's insane that they could have the script finished, be in pre-production, do the shooting, do the editing and have it ready to go and in theaters in under a year. That is it's truly for anyone who doesn't really, like understand <laughs> filming. I mean, that's that's insane. It's truly unbelievable. It, it really is, and it's crazy that two is as good as it is. Considering that, um, now here's what I am gonna say. I have. I know you were kind of mentioned two sort of fallen in some people's estimation in recent years. I agree with that. I will say two has kind of always felt a little off to me and i know that's crazy to say because kevin williamson wrote it and i love a ton about it but there's always been like characterization issues in the second movie that i i never have been on board with i do not understand why sydney prescott is an actress and is in a play like (laughs) even even before ghostface calls her in the first movie she does wants nothing to do with the spotlight she's been in the spotlight since her mom has been murdered she like the last thing she wants is reporters or any attention on herself so like why in the world is she an actress in college and like also like it's wild to me that he doesn't have an understudy for a freshman who's (laughs) got the starring role in his play i mean there's so many like there's like we talked about suspension of disbelief. There's a lot for me to suspend my disbelief about in two, like way more so than in some of the other ones. So many of the kills are also just like so public. It seems so much harder for me to believe. I mean, obviously the the opening scene is fantastic and it's great. Um, 
And it, I think that one actually works the most out of all the quote unquote public, um, you know, murders. But like Randy just being grabbed into a van in the quad that we saw was filled with people. And the Ghostface steps out still in Ghostface gear before taking it off and leaving the mask on the driver's seat. Like nobody notices this. Like where is campus safety on this campus? Why is Cotton Weary constantly everywhere on campus? <laughs> like. I mean, I get he's in the library. Okay, a lot of college libraries are open to community members. Okay, so sure, he shows up there. Why is he there in, like, the theater space at night when we've seen so many other doors are locked and everything to save the day? I mean, there's a lot that I just have to get past to to um, get into, too, as much as I appreciate a lot of uh, what it is saying and I really appreciate that opening scene especially because the first one is so white that it's very much a and this is actually maybe one of the reasons it doesn't hit as well is that it's very reactionary like Scream was very much ahead of the time and everyone else was reacting to Scream because Scream was like this bombshell in the genre but in the very opening of two they're talking about obviously like the the racial different racial experiences in horror like how it's different for black characters than it is for white characters and plays into the trope of like black characters being killed first and so it's doing it in this you know smart way but at the same time it feels a little reactionary to the criticism of the first screen being so white you know and then we do at least have a couple more characters who are black but I will point out like the one who actually survives has to literally leave the movie <laughs> and just be out of the movie for the whole time because Hallie is then killed. But then the camera guy will come back at the end. And it's like, all right, Hey, I'm, I'm okay, fine. I'm ready to shoot. Now these killers are dead. I'm back, basically <laughs> I'm back to, like he back had to, to like, literally just get out of there to survive, you know? Um, so anyway, so I do like to, but, there's i've just i've always kind of had some some issues with it and and especially that sydney characterization like that's the biggest thing to me like it especially because you go from one shrinking violet doesn't want any attention to center of attention i'm on stage three even harder core like i'm hiding out like you know in my house by myself rural you know doing my work over the phone and everything and so it just it feels very glaring uh, in a way that didn't make doesn't make sense to me still, and, and has never really. Um, but anyway, that's that's my long tirade about two as much as, much as I enjoy it. Um, but I want to say two about three. I mean, it is low on my list, and we talk obviously about the themes and and the way Hollywood treats women. But I think another thing that it really has going for it is its characterization of Sydney. Um, I think that really is like one of its strongest points is um telling just this very kind of human story and and her kind of dealing with her trauma and honestly getting closure uh for her her trauma and and what she's experienced i don't like roman i don't like messing with the original and and all of that stuff i mean i never like it when any horror franchise does that but the retconning um yeah yeah the retconning is is no fun to me but anyway yeah so those are those are my rankings um and, you know, another reason four is like up there as my number two, besides what we've talked about, is like when I think about rewatching the franchise, the two I want to rewatch the most are one and four. They're like the two I go to. I'm like, God, I just like three. Very rarely do I want to watch it Two, Yeah, I want to rewatch two. It comes right after one, of course. But four, I'm like, man, I really want to watch four again. Like it's it's crazy. And, and so 
you know, we, we, I rewatched all four of them and then have rewatched like one with the director's cut that this great editor named Stephen Corey put together. Uh, <laughs> he compiled this director's cut that I got my hands on. Uh, and then, um, you know, in four, like I, I rewatched both of those again because I had so much fun with them. Um, and, and that's like the other thing about four. Four is just fun. It feels very fun in the same way that the first one does. Very fun. And it has that same playful playfulness to it so yeah anyway those are my rankings and my long-winded rant about scream 2 uh as much as i like it uh anyway my only rebuttal on scream 2 because i've honestly never really thought that much about sydney being an actress and now that you've like talked about it i'm like oh my god that makes no sense at all (laughs) and the only sense that i can make of it is because they want the finale of the of the exactly. of the movie to take place on that stage, which admittedly sets yeah. up for like a great finale. I think my biggest thing about two and why I love it so much is specifically the last hour because I totally I totally agree that there's some awkwardness to like the first hour, but mainly mm-hmm. Scream Two to me is those set pieces that are the that are the last yeah. hour when you go from. I, I get what you mean about Randy's death in the quad being a little awkward, how the death is handled. It's still a great scene in the quad, mm-hmm. and then you go from that, and then you've got. Um, Dewey and Gale in the sound booths, all the being yeah. chased by Ghostface, and then you've got the cop car scene, which I think is that's one of the best scenes in the franchise. It's it probably one is my favorite, hundred best set yep. pieces in the whole series. Just I remember watching it in the theater, just just being frozen. Like that's such an incredible sequence, and then and then Agreed. you get into the finale. I think that's why I love two so much. And just to quickly touch on one thing with three. Before we move on, I think the thing that I really noticed for the first time about three rewatching it this time recently was just how little Sydney is in the movie and how much mm-hmm. she's kind of on the sidelines. I totally agree with like her characterization in three is great. I think it bums me out how how much on the sidelines she is through a lot of the movie and how she's not even reunited with the big the rest of the big three until like an hour in but then it was only i i just recently read that she only had nev campbell only had like 20 days to shoot screen three or whatever so they could only do so much with her which is why they have her hanging out in the the cop's office and all that stuff and i think that's uh, with with some other just like with it leaning more into the into the into the comedy of it and Scream 3 was also suffering from being a reaction to Columbine and what happened there and how the Weinsteins and the studio and everything wanted to really back off on the violence, which is why they really leaned more into the comedy and kind of put it all on Dewey and Gale to kind of like really carry that movie. So I think that's why like 3 just kind of like goes down a little bit for me, but yeah. They're all, these movies are all just so good. I, they're all so good <laughs> in their own ways. They're all so fun. I yeah. never noticed Sydney's absence in three until you'd mentioned that, which is interesting. I, th- I think some of her stronger scenes are in three. Like I love the scene where mm-hmm. she shows up on set and is going through the house, and you know I, I think that's a brilliant sequence. It's really good. Um, like you said, the characterization there. I the mother you know showing up in her whatever like as a ghost is creepy that's one that's of the, the scariest bits really the, is. the shot of that wide shot of her just first starting to approach like coming up the walkway is such a super creepy like haunting shot it like yep. it, it makes my skin tingle whenever that part comes up i remember that being this like when that movie when i first saw it in theaters i was that 
I remember thinking during that scene that this is the scariest this franchise has ever been for me. <laughs> like the mother in the window, like that terrified me. I don't know why. Um, even the second time I saw it, I rented it on VHS when it came out, and I was like afraid to get to that scene because I was watching it in my basement alone. And I was like, I know it's coming, but it doesn't matter. Is that the creepiness of that? The imagery of the mother just like sitting there, standing there in the window is horrifying for me. Um, super still, eerie. It's just an, yeah, it's a, it's an eerie shot. Um, but those elements I really like. Like Sydney has yeah. those elements in three, and that's pretty cool. I I will say that. But yeah, before you said it, Corey, I was thinking as Brantley was talking about too. No matter what negative things you say about two, that cop car sequence is is like the height of the franchise, maybe. Oh, oh man, it's, maybe even I a hundred percent agree. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, as as much as I've ranted about Scream Two, let me be clear. I think that's one of the probably the tensest scene in the entire franchise. Maybe not the scariest, but definitely the most tense. Yeah, yeah. And and the set pieces, like you were mentioning, are fantastic in general, but. Yeah, they wanted that big final yeah. set piece at the end, which to me kind of is like, this movie was written, written, you know? Yeah. Kevin had to type that I mean, make... one out pretty fast. <laughs> yeah, it's like Kevin wanted the Greek chorus, and you know, and so he had to, you know, figure out a way. I'm like, ah, just make Derek the actor, and she's sitting in the stands constantly, so that's why she's used to the theater, and you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they're whatever. like, oh, we got money uh, who... in the budget for Danny Elfman to do some music. Let's give him a reason to do something cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Who am I to second guess Kevin Williamson? But yeah, anyway. Okay, and so to to add a couple thoughts about three, as much as we've talked about the things we like, I just, it's not a bad movie, but it's just my least favorite solely because it's so goofy. I, I mean, but not even in like some fun ways. It's like, so the power's cut to the house, but a fax can still come through. You know, or like the knife that hits Dewey in the head and then he falls down the stairs. I mean, it's just, yeah, Jay and Silent Bob showing up. I mean, there's just so much. Like, as much as I love Parker Posey in it, like, and her character so deliciously, like, over the top and ridiculous, like, so much of the rest of it is over the top and ridiculous in a way that just. That just does not how does not work for me. Randy's sister just appears in the middle of a back yes. lot, <laughs> just pops out of a trailer. Is like, yeah. oh my god, I'm glad I found you guys. I have this tape. <laughs> yeah, like, how'd she get how'd on the lot? How was she lot? in a trailer? How'd like, she you, you name it. I mean, Jesus. And then, but then Dewey's reaction. It's like, oh yeah, that's Randy's sister. Almost like, a, you know, can't you tell she's a weirdo? It's Martha Meeks, Randy's sister. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah. then they push you into the trailer and play the video of Randy so that way the audience is like don't don't, don't think about that don't think about how she got there just watch yeah. the tape of Randy exactly exactly <laughs> uh, anyway yeah so I mean look I, I never feel bad that I'm watching Scream 3 but it just yeah. so I, I, I stand by by the way what we said Nick on Child's Play that Child's Play is the most consistent franchise from start to finish because it has the least drop off between its best and its worst i agree with that um still and i think there's just such a drop off between scream one and scream three for me that that child's play holds true uh in that regard uh anyway so uh that's enough discussion though about our rankings and thoughts on the films uh now we're going to enter the draft uh so every single one of us is going to draft an opening 
a finale, a killer or killers, depending on how many there were from the specific film we're drafting, uh, a main character, and that includes Sidney Prescott, Gail Weathers, and Dewey Riley, or a side character, and these are all things that topics we're choosing from the first four films, because we don't want to spoil anything from the fifth film for folks. Um, so, we rolled our four-sided die before we started. Corey will be going first in this draft. Uh, Nick will be going second, and I will be taking up third position here, uh, getting the back-to-back, as this is a serpentine-style draft. There you go, Matt Bronsdorf. I switched it again to serpentine <laughs> instead of snake-style draft. It's a snake draft, um, Matt. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> We'll have to have people write in and tell us what they prefer between Snake and Serpentine, the 12 people who listen to our podcast. Uh, and by the way, we can draft, uh, we have to have one of each of these. So you can't just take three openings and whatever, you know, you have to have one of each. Uh, we're making our basically our amalgamated, you know, scream films. Uh, and, but you can draft them in any order. So, you know, Corey could take, a, you know, a killer and then Nick could take an opening and I could take a finale all from the in the first round. It is, you know, whatever we want to do. So with that, Corey, you have the first pick in the scream draft. Oh, man, I'm so glad I do because I got to it's obvious. I've got to take the opening. I got to take the opening scene to scream one. It's it's iconic. It's. When everybody thinks of Scream, you think of Drew Barrymore in the opening scene and how that yep. plays out. The whole thing, you know, just with how it it was almost their proof of concept when they went to shoot, even though like they were they were shooting the whole movie, they had, they shot that whole scene by itself first to kind of like cut together mm-hmm. and show the studio and show the Weinstein's and everything. And it it almost works as its own short film, its own like story, just set like right there and just everything that it does and flaunting the history of horror and the it's just it's so phenomenally done it's really could stand as the best single scene or sequence that Wes Craven has maybe ever pulled off it's it's just a stunning it's just a stunning opening to any movie so that is pick number one great great pick um yeah it's interesting you say that because from my understanding, as much as the Weinstein started interfering from two on, from what I was hearing, listening to a bunch of stuff, the only time they really got like worried or freaked out or wanted to intervene at all was they were watching the dailies from that first scene. And they were like, we don't get this. What is going on? Blah. And then they cut it together to show them. And they were like, Oh, okay. Yeah, no. Go for it. Do what you're gonna yeah, do. Yeah, they didn't basically. like the they they weren't they they weren't feeling the mask, and they had asked like, mm-hmm. can you like shoot multiple options with the mask? And they were like, yeah. no. Like, what are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> and yeah, the, and, and that was the thing they were watching dailies. And like, will you just let us cut it together? And they already had Marco Beltrami on board to do the score, and he had and and for them cutting that scene, he composed the cue that and he actually titles it the cue from hell. And it's what guaranteed him the nice. job for the rest of the movie to score it. And they put that whole scene together and they showed that to him. And yeah, they have to, at that point, they were like, okay, you guys, you guys got it. You guys are good. That's how rock solid <laughs> yeah. it is. It's unbelievable filmmaking. It's so good. Yeah, no, it, it is fantastic. And I you know I had a suspicion that if anything was going to get drafted <laughs> first, that was going to be it. <laughs> Number one <laughs> overall. Yep. 
Uh, Nick, you were on the board at number two here in the first round. Cool. Yeah, this is thus far playing out exactly as we anticipated, um, which is good. I mean, the opening scene of Scream is like when you think of Scream, the whole franchise, I think you have to think of that scene and nothing else, really. Um, like you could boil the whole thing down to that one scene, um, ultimately, because uh, it's got really every element of a Scream movie in it. Um as Corey said, I think that's, I never thought about it that way, but it is really, it's a standalone short film. But anyway, my choice, I'm going to stick with openings, uh, because why not? Uh, and I am going to go with Scream 4. The opening to 4 is nice. hysterical. I just, I don't, it's goofy, but it's also like, I think that's the single scene in the, in the whole series. Like I may, maybe had the most fun with, um, it's just, it's hilarious. It's very funny. Um, and I don't know. There's something like looking at it now, um, like as like what is Craven's last movie, right? Like that scene, I just feel like that's like Wes Craven having like the most fun of his career, like just making fun of it. I, I don't know. It's great. I don't want to say anything more about it. It's just it's a hysterical scene. Um, it wasn't and... the original opening either. Really? That I did. Yeah, not they know. originally had something else, and then. It, they weren't they weren't vibing with it and like Williamson I guess I think I'm I think I'm remembering this correctly and then Williamson like basically was like well I had this idea to do this do we want to try this and they tried it and they're like this is great we got to go with this it's so yeah it's so good I mean that's a franchise being meta within its meta franchise which is awesome um yeah that's all I gotta say four uh it's close I, I almost would have picked three I think but I gotta give it to four no, that's that's great. Yeah, I I love the four opening too, and uh, the openings within openings within openings um, uh, of that of that film as well. Um, I am going to oh boy now okay so I have two things that I would want to draft and now I oh I get back to Max I forgot <laughs> <laughs> so not to take too much from the original film but I'm going to take uh, my killers and I'm going to take uh, Billy and Stu from the first film. And then uh, I'm going to take the Scream 1 finale uh, as my first pick of the second draft. I mean, so I'll talk about both of these here. Um, I had a suspicion that a lot of the stuff from the first film was going to get drafted pretty quick. So I'm happy to be able to pick up like two of the three (laughs) things I I definitely wanted from the first. Um, And I... I love Jill and even Charlie in four. Like th- those would be maybe my next picks for killers, but I just, I love Billy and Stu and you know, there's been a lot discussed about, you know, their true motivations and who killed who, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, but you talked about like the motivations of the new film and how it being pitch perfect. And, you know, so much of the scream killers is just like wanting revenge on them for some reason warranted or not not actually none of them are warranted um save for no mrs loomis isn't even warranted because if she was saying she would recognize that billy loomis was a psycho who tried to kill uh sydney and she had every right to shoot him she's in the head. got that mrs Voorheesness about her i don't think that's gonna work <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um but yeah they are revenge and like i just you know, the first Scream, as much as we talk about the meta elements, but, like, some of the deeper themes are just this, like, 
crazy toxic masculinity that permeates so much of the film. It's basically two guys trying to kill their girlfriends or ex-girlfriends, basically, for these perceived slights. And, you know, Billy, none more, you know, uh, emblematic than Billy saying that the reason they killed Maureen a year ago was because she was a, you know, quote-unquote slut flashing her stuff around town like she was Sharon Stone and was sleeping with his dad. Well, he's not pissed off at his dad for also ruining his marriage. He's pissed off at Maureen Prescott. Mm -hmm. And it's just so, so well done between those two. And I love, look, I love Matthew Lillard. And I think he is (laughs) pitch perfect as Stu. I know some people think he's over the top. I think he is like perfect. Yeah, Billy, Billy is like a cold psychopath who manipulates people and he manipulates Stu into doing things for him. And Stu is not nihilistic but just like everything's a joke to Stu. everything's a joke until he has to face consequences for his actions basically and then you get the my mom and dad are gonna be so bad <laughs> you know which is just like oh oh when he gets oh, hit with the phone kiss. yeah and like how that's yeah. A, that that was a total goof on set and like you fucking hit me with the phone dad <laughs> yeah 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 anyway it's just like it's so like so well done and and i mean look i think you know Stu is probably in love with billy whether he recognizes it or not and that's why he's going along with it and allowing you know uh, all of these things to happen um i also love all the different fan theories about it like i i know kevin williamson has come out and said that no Stu is the one who kills steven casey but i also just love the fan theory that Stu doesn't kill anybody like it's all Billy and Stu because Stu's kind of just too much of like a wuss to do it but he's still like going along and helping Billy because he's sort of like in love with him and I think it it would have been great if that like if we got the original Scream 3 idea that Kevin Williamson had uh, which is basically like Stu was in prison but he has all these like this cult on the outside who's like doing his bidding and killing for him basically oh, he used that for um, the following his tv show yeah exactly I saw the first yeah kevin williamson that. that's right he, re- yeah. he ended up adapting that idea into his tv show that's right exactly and then you know obviously with columbine they changed what scream 3 was going to be and you know etc so we didn't get that but i do love that like idea because it still would have cemented he's sort of like this manson-esque figure who in the eyes of the law technically didn't kill anybody and he's having other people do it but is he still guilty kind of thing so and i know like when you look at the logistics of the first film it probably doesn't make any sense that Stu doesn't kill anybody but i do still like that idea that you know it's possible technically that billy could have killed everybody and usually when you look at the stuff they're like well billy couldn't have done it he was playing dead upstairs and i was like how do you know that like, as soon as Sydney leaves the room, he doesn't have to lay around up there doing nothing. He could just have, you know, snuck outside to slit Kenny's throat or to have stabbed like Randy and then just made his way through a back door and gone up there again to fall down the stairs for Sydney. Yeah. You know? Anyway. A- anyway. So, yeah, it, that was one of the things when I rewatched it, like, for the second time leading up to this, I was like, with a critical eye, like, could Billy have done it all by himself? Even though I know that that's not the intention of Kevin Williamson. Anyway, so, and then, of course, the finale. Uh, we've talked so much about it. Uh, phenomenal. I also really love, we've talked about the two, Billy and Stu, but I, Gail and Sydney in the finale, I think, are awesome. I love that Sydney turns the tables and is hiding in the closet and is like, you know, I called 911, the police are on their way, and uh, and then she's using the voice changer and everything. 
uh, I don't get why she puts the ghost face mask on. Like, you really didn't need to do that, but whatever. You know, I can get past that. Uh, but the finale for the first one is just, uh, it's fantastic. And, and that's why that's my first pick of the second draft. The reveal. Or second round. The yeah. reveal. That at the time, mm-hmm. with the reveal of it being two killers, was such a stunning, yeah. like now, like it, it's such a, you know, it was done 25 years ago now. But boy, like, even though like I hadn't seen a ton of horror movies or things like that, that was just more like such a mind-blowing thing in like movies no one no one expected that and then when it and then when that played out when when you're just like oh my god it's two of them it was such a mind-frying like like thing to have happen that was i've just remembered i still remember that to this day just being such a stunner the first time i watched it oh yeah yeah, I remember when Stu first comes up behind Sydney, he's got that kind of glazed look, and you think, has he been stabbed in the back or something? And then she turns, and he's like, surprise, Sydney, in the voice box. Uh, it's just, oh my goodness. No way. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reveal was, like, fantastic. And, uh, yeah, set the template, really, for the rest of the franchise and obviously all the horror films that would come after it and kind of ape it yep. style. Yep uh nick you have the second pick now in the second round so far you have taken the scream Four opening what is on deck for you now i'm going to keep the theme of uh following the category that the previous person did i'm going to do finale and i'm also going to keep the theme of sticking to scream four i like the scream four finale (laughs) uh quite a bit um i think it's interesting because i didn't know this but if indeed it's true that that ending was kind of rewritten or kind of tacked on or whatever as you said earlier um i think they did a good job with it i i yeah really like the scream 4 ending um i liked it more the second time even than when i first saw it i think um i mean the ending essentially starts out as a remake of the first scream finale in my mind mm-hmm. um with you know the uh what's her name like beating the shit out of herself, stabbing herself, um, frame, like making yeah. it all. Um, but they, they, it doesn't end there. Like, I think there's so the first three screen movies essentially end during the reveal or like right after it. Um, mm-hmm. they don't go anywhere else. They don't do anything else with that. It's, um, you know, there's the joke about the killer always coming back and that happens more than once in this franchise. But in this one, you know, the ending, it's the ending that doesn't end, which is another slasher staple. Um, and, I, I dig that they go to another location. Um, of mm. course, it's like a hospital that's not staffed by anyone, and it's dark, and like it's that. That's <laughs> another horror staple, and I think that's fine. Um, yep. So you know that's easy to make fun of, but I, I I really like that they switch it up in the middle of what you think is going to be the expected sort of remake of the first, and you know where this is going, and you're just waiting for her to you know fucking bite it in that house. And then it cuts to the hospital, and you have this entire other finale waiting for you. Um, and there's always, I don't know, there's something great about, like, a bunch of characters being stuck in a tiny room. Like, just, it all, the whole thing kind of just, like, condenses down into this one really tiny space with all the important characters, and who's going to die, and I don't know. It's great. I uh, It's not so much for me about the reveal of who the killers were in 4 that I can take or leave um i i really actually don't dig the explanation that much for um but i think you know that's 
the whole franchise is like that. Two and three also. It's just like such a stretch to believe <laughs> any of that. Um, so I don't. I, yeah, motivations aside, the actual way that four plays out its ending is, I think, the best, the most fun. Um, honestly, out of all of them, I probably would have picked four over one if you hadn't taken it already. Oh wow, that's surprising. I think so. No, that's. And that's great. Like I, I 100% agree. And I, you know, I, was, I talked earlier about the things I really liked about four, and I didn't really mention this. Like, not only is it like bringing things back to what the first one was, but it's doing so in a way that's subverting right. it. Like, you know, the final girl is now the right. killer. You know, she's not trying to shrink away from the attention. She's tr- wants all that attention on her now. She wants what Sydney had, and that Sydney hated. And she wants that attention and the fame. And, you know, it's bringing it back even more Halloween. Like, who are you, Michael fucking Myers, you know, like in the hospital right. scene? So, yeah, it's 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 going back to the original, but then just subverting them in that kind of new and fresh way that, that I really like. And I agree. I mean, outside of the original uh, opening and, and finale, four would be my favorites as well. So... Uh, you've now taken those off the board for me. So. <laughs> well, I had the original, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, you got that, yeah. <laughs> Another thing about yeah. that finale of four, and this was something I was trying to think of earlier when I was talking about how each movie does its own different thing or it's like called out things that are either happening or will happen. Another thing that four, screen four saw coming down, coming down the pike was like the influencer, the rise of the, like the influencer and like really yeah. being like the internet like celebrity and like everything like that. Mm-hmm. And like, of course iphone was only a couple of years old at that point which is why everybody's rocking like an iphone 3gs in in scream (laughs) 4 but you know she Mm -hmm. wanted to just be famous for being famous and that that can also speak to like kardashians and stuff like that but i thought that that was a nice early indicator of of the the influencer the social media influencer and 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 basically wanting to make yourself into a brand essentially Mm mm-hmm yeah that's a yeah. great point it's a good that that's a it's a great reveal and another another one of those ones that has a great motivation and a reason behind everything yeah that's a good choice cool well yeah. Corey, you are up with the last pick of the second round and the first pick of the third round in your back-to-backs what are you taking oh man um all right i'll pick a main and okay. while i feel like ultimately scream is sydney prescott and and sydney prescott is scream and ev campbell i'm not gonna pick i'm not gonna pick sydney i gotta pick my boy dewey dewey's my favorite (laughs) i love dewey nice always been my favorite character um so i will take dewey as my as my main character and then in terms of, I'm gonna I'm gonna show some love towards my scream too, and it won't be hard for anybody to figure out why I'm gonna take just the, <laughs> the scream two killers. But I mean, Billy's mother is Mrs. Voorhees. Yep. She's Pamela Voorhees. She's coming to avenge the loss of her son at the hands of these other people who it's not who, who they're at fault for everything and not her and not anything else i just i think um i am mostly making this pick based on it being mrs loomis and having uh laurie metcalf play her because i think laurie metcalf mm-hmm. is perfectly crazy 
as Mrs. Yeah. Loomis in that scene and how and her interactions with Sydney and everything like that. And even just her moments in, in the rest of the movie where you're just like, who the fuck is this person? And why is she? <laughs> I don't know if it's totally believable that they wouldn't recognize her, especially since it's only like one or two years after the main part of the story or whatever. Would she really have changed her appearance that drastically? But either way, I as somebody who's a huge Friday the 13th fan, I love the Mrs. Voorhees nod to it all and uh laurie metcalf's performance uh and her and her little brawl with sid at the end um when it i I like timothy oliphant i i do think his motive i do like i understand where people maybe think that his reveals may be a little underwhelming or maybe a little even obvious i do like his motivation of wanting to get caught and wanting the trial that's all a big commentary on oj and the 24-hour news coverage that was coming on at that time and in the 90s and everything like that so just wanting to be in the spotlight for a totally horrendous infamous way and just want the trial and he's totally planning on like i'm gonna get out of this there's no way i'm gonna blame the movies and i'm gonna win and everything like that so i will take i will take mickey and mrs loomis as my killers nice so okay so this is another thing with scream 2 because i agree i love mrs loomis i love timothy oliphant and i don't dislike the character of mickey but you know there's something about the fact that mickey was already an a serial killer operating in the u.s who is now just taking up the ghost face kind of copycat thing that just feels a little weird to me you know, in, in Scream 2? Because it's like, so does he just change his whole modus operandi from what he, like, normally does to do, like, this ghost face killings and everything? And, yeah, so I, Mickey's a little... Something... I, I love the... I was going to yeah. say, something I wonder, because this also talks upon, uh, about... Um, did they shoot different scenes? Did they write different scenes? Because something I was under the impression yeah. for a long time until I read differently recently was that Scream 2 did originally have a different ending that they went with, which was going to have four killers revealed, and it was going to include Sid's roommate and the boyfriend, so Jerry O'Connell too, um, yeah, yeah. but that it leaked, and then mm-hmm. they ended up changing the ending and slimming it back to two and just having it be Mickey and Mrs. Loomis. And those two were originally two of the killers as well. But then I read oh, something recently that said that that was actually, they leaked they Planned. leaked that on purpose and the ending they yes. went with is the ending they always had in mind. But for a long time, I was under the impression that they actually changed that ending because of a leak. But apparently that wasn't the case. Yeah, I think Kevin Williamson did a podcast with like on the Bloody Disgusting Network or something like that, and I think that's where he talked about that. But he was saying that like yeah, they intentionally f- made all these fake leaks of like who the killers were, uh, in- to intentionally throw people off because after the first one came out, like Scream Two is so hot, they didn't want the actual killers to that's leave. almost got to be like one of the first examples of something like that right like like set secrecy yeah. and protect because you know that's the that's all movies practically are now every mo- every marvel mm-hmm. movie has to operate under that kind of pretense or star wars movies maybe the star wars movies were the earliest ones the earliest sequels or franchise movies where it's just like they had to have absolute secrecy but in terms of like <laughs> writing fake scenes and leaking fake pages and stuff like that that's got to be one of the very yeah. first yeah i have to imagine so because it's right around that time where the internet's not 
really big, but it's getting big enough that like you could find if you if you're looking for it sort of you, and you know where to look, you could find it. Yeah, and you had the access. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, that's great, man. So you've got Dewey as your main and uh, Mrs. Loomis and Mickey as your killers. Nick, you're up with the second pick in the third round. Okay, I'm gonna do main character. Um, I. Uh... I'm gonna I'm gonna draft with my heart, Brantley. I'm gonna do because I'm I'm making mm-hmm. a switch from what I intended to do. Um, but having okay. Corey take Dewey, who would have been my first choice, <laughs> I thought my second choice would be Gail. Um, but then uh, hearing you guys talk about, I'm I'm gonna go with Sydney, and I'm gonna, mm. I I mean, not just because she's like a good quote unquote final girl, um, but what I appreciate about her is she's been in. I'm not kind. Of, not talking about the fifth one i have no idea what happens in the fifth one i know she's in it but disregarding that and pretending only the first four existed she's in four movies in this franchise um but it she doesn't she's not pulling off like an ash williams or um you know a laurie strode she's not coming back every movie as this badass who's completely prepared for this next thing and she's got an arsenal of weapons stacked away because she knows this is going to happen again um She's smarter and like you know she's prepared and like she, I think is reactionary in a good way, um, based on her mm-hmm. past experiences. But she's never like a completely different character. Um, and I mean you know it's not the same killer. And I, I, that's one thing I hated about the Halloween 2018 thing was like it was cool seeing Jamie Lee Curtis being this badass, but like to have her have this house full of traps and shit that she set up in case he ever got out of like. Mm. I just, I didn't like that. It felt, took me out of the movie a little bit. Whereas I think, you know, Sydney comes out of the first one thinking like, well, that's it. It's all wrapped up. This will never happen again. Um, and so to be going through it again and then again and then again, um, like mm-hmm. she makes little changes, which I appreciate. Like she carries a gun in three and, you know, she's like, you know, off the grid and living in this house by herself. And like, but she never goes fully like uh, all right you know clockwork three years from now someone's gonna be after me again so i'm gonna build a huge (laughs) mansion like the winchester house with stairways that lead to the ceiling and then a (laughs) trap door in the basement with like you know i appreciate that about her she's always like very human and real and um and she's smart she's a smart horror character well, that's the line in the trailer for the new one because I wouldn't consider the spoilers. But the line in the trailer when 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 you know when Dewey's like, "There's another killer. Do you have a gun?" She's like, "I'm Sydney. I'm Sydney fucking Prescott. Of course I have a gun." <laughs> She's just very much like, "Yeah, I have a gun. This could happen again. Will it happen again? I don't know. But if it's gonna happen again, I'm sure shit gonna be ready for it." <laughs> yeah, like, mm-hmm. I and I buy that. Like, like, yeah, sure. After the first one. I'm going to get a gun. I'm going to go to a shooting range and like, it's all out how to right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's my choice. And I think I switched it up at the last minute because I hadn't really considered that, but I do really appreciate that about this franchise that it does keep a consistent main character. And she does grow over the series of four movies based on her experiences, yeah. but not to like a cartoonish weird level. Um, so, yeah. 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 And, and, and the fact that she's a writer in four, I think, is perfect. 
you know like we've seen her you know have that closure after three and then we see her 11 years later and yeah that makes sense like that's the amount of quote-unquote fame i think sydney would take on having a solitary job that she's doing probably by herself with limited interaction with others and can be safe but then yeah she'll do the book tour and come back to woodsboro you know 11 years after the last killing because you know maybe things are like done at this point but she's going to be prepared if they're not you know and i like that between three and four like in three she's the opposite she's like living off the grid or whatever um completely Mm -hmm. by herself and in four she's like all right i'm just going to be a public figure i'm gonna embrace it because it's happened three times like if it's gonna happen again it's gonna happen again i have no control over it so i might as well tell my story and like you know go back to yeah which i again i really like that it's like a subtle yeah character development thing that is believable because like her main art basically happens in one and three i feel like like one through three like that's her primary arc and then like after that it's very much like ah shit here we go again (laughs) (laughs) right like she like i like i appreciate that she where she arrives at the end of three where she can't be in hiding or anything like you said and it goes into four she becomes more of a public figure becomes a writer so at the end of three she decides i'm not gonna hide anymore i'm gonna move forward with my life and then it's very much like she continues to live her life it's just every so often it's gonna be a little like here we go shit here i go killing again yeah 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 more ghost face and fucking body bags And she's resigned herself to the fame, um, which she never wanted. Like, yeah. Too. She's like, I don't want this. I, you know, whatever. Um, I want to just move on with my life and just be Sydney Prescott. And by four, she's like, All right, I'm the Sydney Prescott. Like, I'm not going to be able to leave that behind. I might as well just embrace it and write a book about it. I'll do a little tour. I'll do everything as safely as possible. But yeah, of course, it's going to happen again. So I'll be prepared a little bit. And I think she's sick of everybody else telling her story in four so four is her ability you know yes she's a public figure but it's like it's a public figure in the sense that like she's at a bookstore talking about her you know reading from her book not she's not a news anchor like gail who's on tv constantly and chasing down people for like you know leads about stories you know she's doing a solitary job that she has to do in public a little bit when the book's coming out but that she's taking back that ownership of her life and being able to tell her story and not letting others do it for her right and she has not sold out she like you know her agents her agent is a terrible person and she realizes that and fires her and like she's not turning into a gail weathers who herself yeah, has her own arc exactly. in the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Says the best. Yeah, I love. Says the best. I, I love. I love that about four too. No, I agree, and and I am very bummed. I was. I knew. I I ran the risk when I took um, a killer in a finale that I would miss out on Sydney, but I I I, I you know I, I think when we did our our um, horror heroes draft, you know, like I took Sydney Prescott over Laurie Strode. You know, she just to me was is like the um not just final girl like yeah like the hero of a horror franchise that i most um uh admire and like and love to watch over and over uh and yeah i i don't blame you because uh, i would have done the same thing nick oh, so. <laughs> she's at like because i love laurie strode obviously she's like the iconic original almost final girl but for me laurie mm-hmm. strode is like at her peak in halloween h2o it's a believable level of like preparedness and she's changed her name and, and, you know, but she's still tough. And then by 2018, just don't buy it. I don't, I couldn't, I couldn't get my head around that. Um, so. 
and in an H2O, she's coping in ways that, you know, she can still be a professional, but that are unhealthy. Right. She's, you know, a bit of yep. an alcoholic, yep. you know, and it, but it's done subtly. It's not like in your face about it. She's not doing like, you know, falling over and banging her nightstand over <laughs> like drunkenly at night, you know, in a scene or right. anything. Yeah. So I, I agree with you that like, yeah, she's, she's sort of at her best in H2O. She's in hiding and she thinks that's going to be enough. Basically. Exactly. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's awesome. Uh, okay. So, well, I think it probably behooves me since I know what my opening is going to be and I know what my <laughs> main character is going to be. I can wait for later in the draft on those. <laughs> it's going to behoove me to take a side character here. Oh, man. Wow. So this is... We got a wide This is tough. Here. Yeah. Yeah, I really, really do. Um, I'm between three, really. And as much as I would want to go with Randy, because I think in the original, that's the one I kind of most associated with, like the film nerd who, you know, can tell you how to survive if you just listen kind <laughs> of thing. Um I am going to go Kirby from Scream 4, played by Hayden Pantier. Um, I love the basically updated version of Randy that she is. Um, I love that she's a really good friend. Um, she's basically kind of an amalgamation of a Tatum and a Randy, in a sense, that she's the best friend of the quote-unquote final girl, Jill, who we, again, find out is actually the killer. Um, she, like, is very protective in the way that Tatum is. Like, she's, you know, telling Trevor to F off and, like, you know, screw you. Like, she hates her, her, her ex as uh, much as uh, Jill... Well, actually, probably not as much as Jill does. Jill shoots him in the dick. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but she still has that, like, Randy knowledge in her. So, so... Anyway, yeah, I, 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 I'm going to go with Kirby from Scream 4 for my side character. That's great. She's character. great. Uh, yep. Yeah, she's a great character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, gosh, yeah, now I have the back-to-back. Okay, so I will take the uh, Scream 2 opening. I've already talked about it a bunch earlier, uh, uh, and I think um, if I had to pick one in the first four and I couldn't have one or four, uh, Scream 2 would be the one I'd go to. Nothing against Cotton Weary, and, and I love Liev Schreiber. Uh, and it's not a, it's certainly not a bad opening. I, I, I do actually still really like that opening. Uh, but, I mean, Scream 2, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's iconic. I mean, it's certainly not the, you know, Drew Barrymore opening from the first one, the Casey Becker one, but... Uh, I mean, a hell of a follow-up. I mean, nothing that I don't think is going to top that original, but that's one hell of a follow-up, and <clears throat> I really uh, love it, and I love the commentary in it, even though, like we said, it, it was a little, you know, obviously reactionary. Um, that, of all the public deaths into, I think is perhaps the most realistic, because it's about these black characters who are in a predominantly white space, and people essentially like not caring about them and not treating them with the humanity that they deserve um, and not trying to help them when they're obviously in pain and, and being killed. Um, so that's, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the Scream 2 opening. Oh, I have a question for you guys. Who do you think is the killer that is the one killing them in the, in the opening scene? It's got to be Mickey, yes. right? 
Yeah. I know some people think Miss Loomis because he does the, when they listen at the door, you hear the muttering and it's like, Mommy, that's Mommy, a, and Billy, but that's, a good that's Black Christmas. That's a good point. That's that's true, too, but it could, it, yep, that's true. Or it could be like a Mrs. Voorhees, like, trying to trick because Mrs. Voorhees does that yeah. in part one when she lures Brenda out to get killed in the archery range. Yes. But no, I, but I would think it's Mickey. I, I've always thought it was Mickey in the theater. Yeah. I mean, he's just so tall enough that I think Jada would buy it when he's got the ghost face mask on and sit down next to her. Also, yep. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that Mrs. Loomis is strong enough to stab through, you know, a, a you know, a bathroom door like that to to get a um, Omar Epps in the cheek there. You know, I, I don't know if I would buy that. I got to say that that so. one part of that sequence, I watching it this time, I don't know if I like or hate when they cut away to show Ghostface on the other side of that door before the knife goes through when they could have just stayed on. Omar Epps, and that would have been a great jump scare. Oh, yeah. If suddenly a knife and then, and then had yeah. the stall door open afterwards instead of cutting in. That's a good yep. point. Yeah. It's yeah. No, that cutaway that kind of takes away from that scare. On the other hand, I don't. I think jump scares are kind of a cheap way of you know trying to get a rise out of people. Um, and there are other ways mm-hmm. to do a good scare. So, in some ways, I appreciate that they cut away. But yeah, watching it this time, I was like, I was ready for the knife to come through, and I forgot that they cut away. So you're like prepared for it an instant before it happens yep that's yep. true but it is a great opening uh well yes. nick you are now up with the second pick in the fourth round here yeah i'm gonna do side character um i was kind of juggling back and forth between cotton and randy but i'm gonna do randy i think um nice. for the reasons that you said i mean i think i obviously i'm like a a horror nerd film nerd um but like especially a horror nerd and so i identify with him um mm-hmm. like his awkwardness around you know well everyone but um he's just he's just a really likable funny character um there's not much more to it than that but one thing i really appreciate about him is um he proves in that series that you know there's no plot armor like he yeah. dies like not that far into two and i gotta tell you mm-hmm. every time i rewatch that movie i forget that he's like actually dead then like because again it happens in such a public place like you pointed out that whenever it happens each time i see it and i've forgotten what happens i'm like okay this is like i've forgotten who the killer is and i'm like this is he's in on it or he's gonna come back in the you know the third act like dewey comes back every time <laughs> he should be dead um uh and um it always stuns me that he's just like he's off. it's so quick and instant and he's just like he's in the movie at one point yeah. he's a main character and then he's gone for the franchise i mean he shows up on a videotape which is kind of cool um in three yeah. but yeah they like i thought that's a ballsy move to kill off randy Have to... was, was that the only like confirmed mrs loomis kill oh that's an interesting point like i mean i'm trying to think in the because you know mickey she does the kills opening. sarah michelle geller Oh, it's her and not Mickey? Because Mickey's over at the party, and then and yeah. then Mrs. Loomis quickly exits that sorority area. She bumps into Gail and was like, oh, Gail, oh, it's, it's, so, oh, it's really bad over there. I'm, I'm sorry. I got to go. I got a story to break. And she, and she, and she's at it. Oh, and plus, okay. in that scene, um, 
I think the other, it's not something that Mrs. Loomis does on the phone, but when Sarah Michelle Geller is on the phone with her, like her sorority mate or whatever like that, the, the friend goes, so I've always yeah, taken yeah. it as Mrs. Loomis does kill Sarah Michelle Geller. Oh, interesting. See, I always thought Mickey just comes to the party afterwards. Like we just, cause I don't think we see him at oh, the party no, until he, the scene after or whatever. No, right? he's there. Cause he's there bantering about sequels oh. with Randy. So, oh, no, okay. He's so I, th- I guess I was thinking much. in my head that was after. Yeah, he's pretty much there at the party the whole time. And then Mrs. Loomis has okay. her quick little like, hi Gail. Oh, I got to run and write a story. Bye. I'm out of here. I, okay. That's a good point. I mean, I figured she definitely kills Randy because he gets grabbed into the van after he, he talks about how Billy was a mom. And she says that at the like end that. where she's just like, Randy talked ill of, of Billy and I got a little knife. Yeah, yeah. 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 I forgot. Yeah. Cause I was just thinking. Yeah. Oh, sorry, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I've forgotten all the things that you're she pointing out She stabs Dewey, yeah. I think, too. She doesn't kill Dewey, but she yes. stabs Dewey because Mickey is off. Mickey's in the car. Sydney. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. But I guess that's not a kill. She just, you know, maims yep. him. But that's, like, also the most unlikely Dewey survival <laughs> within those first three. Like, he... It seems like the first one, okay, gets stabbed once in the back and kind of passes out. Okay, maybe. Right. This one, it's just like, he gets stabbed I don't know how many times. Because how many times he gets stabbed in three? Oh, uh, yeah, I don't remember. But yeah, I'm not sure. that's plot he armor. Does, I don't remember either. He does say the total in the new Scream movie. <laughs> yeah, he says he says how many times. That's why I'm trying to add it up. Like, do they have, did they actually have it right? Did they go back and count it up right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but anyway, all right, nice, nice. I also get the scene between Dewey and Randy in, in two. Another reason I love Randy, but that that one scene, I think it was in the trailer, and it's basically written for the trailer. It's brilliant. Oh, they when talk he's like, about the sequels. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if I could be a killer, like if I'm a suspect, you're a suspect. Good point. Let's move on. Let's move on. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember seeing that before I saw that movie because it was in the trailer and thinking like, yep. I mean. Honestly, that's one of those things where I thought like this was written for the trailer and it's not going to be in the film, <laughs> but it's right there and it's brilliant. Yeah. No, that was the teaser trailer for Scream yeah. Two. It started right out with that scene. Yep. Yep. And then you know, and speaking of like when you watch him again, you see different things. Like he mentions Mickey right before that, but he goes, "But if he's a separate, uh, you know what I mean?" So it's like it's like, oh yeah, like you are pointing to the obvious person, but then you're very quickly like moving past it in a way that like. Oh, now we're onto this funny joke about how they both could be suspects between him and Dewey, you know that yep. kind of thing. So you almost like you almost forget about it. It's like it's like in the first film where it's like it's so obvious it's Billy, <laughs> it, you know, it, maybe not Billy and Stu, but it's so obvious it's Billy. But they know that you think it's Billy, so then they play it off like, oh, maybe he's just a red herring because it's so oh, obvious. Right. Then he gets killed. And you're like, oh, it's, I guess it's not Billy. What the, I have no idea. He gets killed, you know. Well, not even just the kill part. And then comes back. Especially back with the first one, back when, you know, if you're seeing it before any, before you do anything about it and you don't know about the two killers, when they play him getting arrested Mm -hmm. and then Sid gets the phone call from the killer. Exactly. That wipes him out from like, and then, and then when they, yeah, they kill him in the third, in the third act, they're trying to doubly make sure like, no. We're telling you, it's not Billy. As much as you think it's Billy, it's not Billy. But it's great they had all that misdirection to do that. It's so cool. Yeah. Because as soon as Sydney starts questioning him after their their lovemaking, 
that's when the ghost face comes in and like, like, what do I need? To, you know, he says, what do I need to do to make you believe me? And then slice, slice, slice. And then boom, it's just playing with it over and over again too. It's, it's so well done. And like they're seen at the fountain too. It's like when they're talking about like, you know, when they were just being interviewed and everything and they're talking about like people being gutted and all that. And then Stu's like, no, nah, I, I didn't kill anybody. <laughs> After you've seen it, you're like, oh, dude, come on. Nobody said you but then, did. But then... And then Billy's, yeah, Billy's, Billy's got all those reaction. looks. They had all those reaction shots of, like, Billy looking at Stu, and he's just kind of like... <laughs> exactly. Because when, when you first watch it, and he's like, no one said you did, like, it, you know, whatever. Thanks, buddy. Boy. It's no one said you did. No one said you did. Yeah, Is it yeah, just he, no one said you did, like, or does he add a, something? I didn't kill anybody. No one said you did. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> So it's kind of like, yeah, it plays off and it's funny, but then you watch it again and it's like, yeah, you see that like glint in Billy's eyes, like, dude, up. no one said you did, kind of thing, you know? So yeah, I, that's again going back to the why they're so fun to rewatch. But anyway, uh, Corey, you are up with uh, the back to back, the final pick of the fourth and the first pick yep, of the so fifth. These are my last picks. Okay, so I'm really gonna. All right, okay, I'll pick my side character, and I'll take Cotton. Mm-hmm. I, pro- I probably okay, would have taken nice. Randy had he not been picked, but I'll take Cotton uh, just because he's such an essential cog to the original trilogy, though it's amazing how for for uh, Lip Schreiber, how he's just in this one television shot within a shot <laughs> of the first movie and yeah. he balloons up to this just like essential character, especially in the lore. And uh, I love Cotton's involvement in, in the second one. I think schreiber has he he rides this really line with him where he's almost just really kind of goofy but then he's got a little bit of like a meanness going on to him and you really don't know like truly what his angle is clearly he wants to like clear his name and repair his image or whatever like that but you don't really kind of get a handle on him and then i love it when he shows up in the finale and so i might as well just dovetail this into that i basically just built scream 2 out of my picks so i'll uh, so i'll dovetail that into (laughs) saying i'll take scream 2's finale um because i love when he just shows up and um gets a hold of mrs loomis and everything and then he has he has some really uh some nice comedic lines to like cut the tension at the in the finale of uh of two um we're trying to get Sid to do the Diane Sawyer interview and he's, you know, the gunshots going off and he's like, whoa, oh my God, Gail, you've got more lives than a cat. And uh, I just, I think Liev Schreiber's, I think he's a really good side player in these movies. And I do think that his, his intro scene into Scream 3 is actually really good. You know, by the time Scream 3 comes around, you're, you kind of know, like whoever's in the opening scene of this movie you're not sticking around most likely. So when Cotton showed, when you, mm. when you, you know, like Nick, I went and saw screen three on opening weekend too. And then when the movie started off with Cotton, you're like, Oh shit, what, what's <laughs> going to happen now? And it's such a great sequence that plays out. Um, so yeah, I love Cotton and then how he factors into the finale. And of course the finale was just of two with, uh, Sid battling it out with, uh, Mrs. Loomis and Mrs. Voorhees, surrogate like i was talking about and i like that she uses uh um what's her jerry o'connell what's his her boyfriend's name derek 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 Derek. yeah it's derek and you know he she's using his 
pendant that she gave him yeah. which i love that she still has that pendant in the third movie and she's wearing it that's a nice little detail mm-hmm. um and yeah and just the final showdown with like mrs loomis and is she gonna do the diane story there's just a lot of tension built into that and i know it's a silly setup to get everybody into that big theater for this whole thing but it is just this big theatrical like just epic battle in this old these fake ruins that are falling all around them i don't know just something about i love how i do love how just big scream 2 just goes for it and they they really do just go Mm -hmm. big for the ending and i'm all there for it so i'll take i'll take scream 2's finale as my last pick nice and i mean correct me if i'm wrong i mean cotton's the only one to kill one of the killers besides a another killer or um sydney or because dewey shoots roman in, at the end of three right or is it mark yeah no no Who's no it is, actually kills no, roman at the end it is dewey so because it had been sydney killed everybody she killed Stu and she killed billy because billy does the final like get up and she shoots yeah him in they the all head. shoot they all Miss- shoot mickey essentially <laughs> Yes, although she does the final shot at the end, right? Or, or she well, does I guess shoot, it's kind of all of them, She does isn't shoot it? Mrs. Loomis at the end, but Mrs. Loomis hasn't come But she I think she's already back, dead. So I, I do think you yeah. credit that one to Cotton. With to Cotton. So I think he's the only one outside of Sydney and then Dewey's one kill of Roman to actually have killed one of the killers. Well, I guess you could say Jill kills she's a killer and kills the other killer. yes yeah that's why i said like oh, outside okay, of like okay, yeah outside of killers because jill yeah jill basically kills charlie and mrs loomis does most of the damage on on mickey yes. um but you know uh uh sid gets the final shot there when he pops up at the very end instead of mrs loomis who we expect to be um so yeah i mean cotton like just just for having like an actual body count beyond any of the uh <laughs> the other ones uh that's a good pick and it ties right into your to your finale so excellent well done. <laughs> there you go uh nick you have uh your final pick here in the fifth round and then i'm gonna tie it all right up. i think killers is all that i've got left uh yeah i, I have a suspicion as to what your killers. yeah i mean be. i'm just charlie and jill <laughs> was that your guess okay yeah. <laughs> yes uh, charlie and jill right did i get those names right I know Jill, but yeah, Charlie yep, is yep, you got Corey it. Culkin. Um, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. well, I've already mentioned why I love the Scream 4 finale, um, and obviously Jill is a central part of that. Um, I don't love her reveal. Um, I kind of like Charlie's reveal more, um, and I like Charlie's character. I mean, I just, he's like, he's not the Randy surrogate, but he's one of them, sort of. Um, uh, Stabathon, uh, putting on Stabathon, mm-hmm. uh, being the film geek. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I, I just, I mean, the options here are, are limited at this point and I'm not going to pick Roman. So Charlie and Joe, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, it's, I mean, they're limited, but I mean, it's great. I mean, I, if, if I didn't have Billy and Stu as my killers, I would have wanted to grab Jill and Charlie as well. I mean, I know, it's weird to me that people kind of shit on Charlie and they like are all about Jill, but like, I'm like, no, I I think it's, it works so perfectly. And it's so again, like very much tying into that, you know, original one. If, you know, we read the subtext of one quote unquote being in love with the other, you know, Charlie is very much in love with Jill and will basically do whatever she wants. Um, including going along with all these 
killings but he also is just like this like maybe like early example of like an incel you know like he very much is like filled with this like rage that he wants to take out and you know you see him in some of those scenes and it's like he does kind of have those crazy eyes but they're kind of like a little kind of you could see like the a little dead behind the eyes almost because you know he's doing all of these things for for jill and yeah i think his performance is really is really great. I think a, little, a lot of people think he's kind of like a nothing of a character. I, I oh, I don't think like, that either. Yeah. Colkin's Colkin plays him great in that in that movie too. Like like I yeah. said, that wrong reaction shot of him alone, where mm-hmm. him knowingly, it's so great. It's good stuff. No, I don't agree with that at all. He's a great character. It's interesting that you said yeah. that that he's like an early example of an incel because I think he's like the opposite of a like Randy is a film nerd first and then a character who can't get the mm-hmm. girl. I think it's the opposite yes. for Rory. Like he becomes this nerdy film horror lover because he doesn't have any of that, you know, social play. Um, and I, I agree, one hundred percent. That's a great way. He's begrudgingly a horror. Like he does, he never seems happy about being a film nerd. Mm. It always seems to just make him. Yeah, because he's just because he's just filled with so time. much anger. You know, he's just is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I. You're right, and I think he probably sees that as like the one way he can get some sort of cachet because the other thing about scream four is like they're recognizing that like nerddom is like the cool yeah, kids now right. you know and as much in the first one that like billy and Stu know about horror movies as well maybe not to the degree of randy um but you know you see tatum and she says like a west carpenter flick <laughs> or something you know so she's not like she's not as hip to it as like you know randy and, and certainly billy and Stu. but yeah it's like i think that's another comment on four is like the cool kid, the, the the nerds are now the cool kids, and also like they're pretty toxic as well. And uh, I, I think again, kind of like ahead of its time. And the, the only other movie that probably touched upon that in a similar way is twenty is Twenty One Jump Street, with the whole fl- with the oh, whole yeah, flipping yeah, yeah. of like how kids are in high school with how they were when they were in high <laughs> yes. school. Yeah, that's that that's the only other movie around that, and that was like a year after Scream Scream Four. Uh, that that touched yep. upon that where like it, the whole paradigm of kids in school has completely shifted environmentally conscious nerdy <laughs> kids are now the cool ones that run the school and it's just like what yeah <laughs> that's a good point uh anything else no. you want to say on jill and charlie though nick because i kind of no like you I didn't jumped no, in that either. covers it um i'm i'm happy with my mostly scream four picks for this entire draft your turn <laughs> awesome yeah you you pretty much made scream he four, did uh, randy having a <laughs> <Yeah>. cameo. <laughs> you just have right. randy well, as your outlier um, i mean <laughs> yes yeah they found a, a another vhs of him that they <laughs> would have added in as a deleted scene in that one um well okay so i have a main character to draft and i only have one to pick so it, it's gail weathers as my as my main um I, I love Gail Weathers as a character. I do think she is phenomenal. I think Courtney Cox plays her just like pitch perfectly. Um, I mean, would I have taken Sydney and Dewey first? Yes. But again, it's like watching any of the Scream movies. I'm never upset that I have a Scream movie on, even if it's three. And I'm not upset that I have Gail Weathers as my main, even though she's not Sydney or Last Dewey. but not um, least. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I think she gets some of like... <laughs> You know some of the best lines in <laughs> in the franchise and 
uh i'll send you a copy <laughs> like, she just like like she knows how to like twist the knife when she wants to uh yeah you know move your uh i mean you know it's kind of like weird like i don't like that she makes fun of kenny but it is sort of like very iconic like and it very fits that character like you know the the move your tub of lard you know ass and stuff like that um yeah, she's uh, she's a great great character. You know what really annoys me too? Like people get frustrated with like in the fourth one, they think it's ridiculous that she's setting up all those cameras. And I'm like, have you watched any of the screen? She loves to set up cameras. <laughs> like on she's people. done this. That's you a reboot cool thing. Uh, yeah. She's doing what she did exactly. In the yeah she does in the first one she hides the camera in her purse when she goes on set at the beginning of scream three like she's all she's, about hiding cameras but... just flips the bird and just yes the yeah. that's the other thing yeah i love how she just flips <laughs> flips the bird constantly too especially in four like yeah um so yeah gail weathers she's fantastic and uh and I do really like, we kind of touched about it in four. I like in four that she's essentially, she's always seems like high status, certainly in comparison to Dewey. And she's often high status in comparison to Sydney in that, you know, she has a lot of power to tell the story about Sydney's life and, and her mom's death and things like that. But four, again, about that subversion, she's now the low status character. She's the one who can't write. Uh, now Sydney has moved in on the territory that she thought was hers media and specifically like you know writing and she feels very like alienated in that sense so it's another another way that I really like what Scream 4 does in, in terms of its subversion a little bit and I think it makes a lot of sense why she's so excited that there's killings are happening again because now it's like that juice that she needs that she's been missing while living in Woodsboro it makes her point. proactive again yeah yeah yes Those exactly yeah Yep. She also has the best line in the franchise, in my opinion, but it's also the most meta in two. And she's like, well, it was my head, but Jennifer Aniston's body. Like, I wish I had seen that in 1997 at the height of, like, Friends' popularity. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a pretty great line. Well, there's Stabathon is another Well, I also love that. Yeah, yeah. But I also love in two that there's not just the Jennifer Aniston connection to friends, but they say that what Dave Schwimmer is playing, <laughs> He's playing uh, Dewey. Dewey. Yeah. So there's like tons of connections to friends yeah. in, in there. So yeah, that's um, yeah. Oh, that you know, you brought up lines though, because I kinda had just one thing. If I could propose a bonus question or even a bonus round, what's your favorite mm-hmm. ghost face line? Oh, I know what Corey's is. Because uh... I have mine. Okay, well, okay. Uh, let me think. You two say what they are while I, while I think about what my favorite would be. All right. Uh, my favorite is in four. <laughs> it's it's the, I'm going to slit your eyelids in half so you don't blink when I stab you in the face. <laughs> I, was, I, remember, I still remember, even yeah. though I wasn't feeling the movie the first time I saw it, when that line was said, I went, wow, holy <laughs> shit, that's a hell of a line. <laughs> wow. So that's my favorite. Yeah. Nice. What, Nick, do you have line. a favorite? Um. No, probably one of the first, I mean, it's not a cool line, but like one of his first lines in the Drew Barrymore scene where he's quizzing her. Um, I think specifically mm-hmm. the one where he, the trick question line. Um, he's like, well, then you should yeah. have known or whatever, whatever that line is. I mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And I like, um, I like in that Drew Barrymore scene, I, I'm tossed up between where, because uh, it's all... When he says, uh, I want to know who I'm looking at. And she goes, what? And then all of a sudden it's like, it's when there's that turn. And then he goes, I want to know who I'm talking to. And she goes, no, 
that's not what you said so it's like i want to say that one but honestly in that same scene like when he just goes uh what is it it's like something and then he just when he says blondie because then it's like oh yeah now she knows he's he's watching her and he delivers it so perfectly he's like blondie you're yeah i can't do the voice obviously but he just hits it so perfect and it's just one word but it's just like oh shit now it's on maybe no spoilers there is one there's something they did with Ghostface voice in the new movie that i absolutely loved i'll just have to talk to you about it after yeah apparently you might know yeah i know exactly what you're talking about and that is if we were talking about scream 5 that might be my line as well yeah they did they did some great stuff um yes yeah, a hundred percent. I agree. Love these movies. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm with you. All right. Well, that is going to wrap up our Scream draft. Uh, Corey, you took the opening from the first Scream. You took the finale from Scream Two. You took Mrs. Loomis and Mickey as your killers. You took Dewey as your main character, and you took Cotton as your side character. Nick, you took uh, all of Scream 4. <laughs> you took the opening, the finale, Jill and Charlie as the killers. Uh, you have Sydney as your main character, and you have Randy as your side character. Uh, and then I took uh, the opening from Scream 2, the finale of the original Scream, Billy and Stu as my killers, Gail Weathers as my main, and then Kirby from Scream 4 as my side character. Uh, that concludes the Scream draft uh thank you all so much for listening um maybe we'll get together and do like a scream 2022 scream 5 like spoiler episode but i mean only two of us have seen it so we didn't want to spoil it for other people who haven't gotten a chance to go out to theaters or aren't feeling comfortable going out to theaters and i mean we get it anyway just even if there wasn't a pandemic i mean we're dads and you know the time to go see movies isn't what it used to be so uh and honestly there's a bajillion other podcasts that have talked about the new scream so i'm sure you could get that anywhere else so we're hopefully uh people appreciated this spoiler free uh scream uh draft here uh thank you so much for listening please rate review subscribe all that jazz wherever you uh listen to your podcast and uh we'll be back next time with a tbd episode thanks everyone i gotta say sorry awesome. i just realized as you were reading back the things i think it's interesting that everyone's killer and finale matched the movie which really says yeah, a lot about that's how a really good point tied, like the killers yep. are oh yeah to, you're right you know, like yep no the you're 100 right movie. and the fact yeah and i mean like i had the back-to-back and i took the killer and finale back-to-back you know because it's it's hard for me to kind of separate that you know they go so much hand in hand it is about that reveal and yeah that's interesting the song you heard in this episode is you are a monster by monroeville music center it's being used under a cc by creative commons license and was accessed from freemusicarchive.org If you'd like to hear more of Monroeville Music Center, you can find them on Bandcamp, their Facebook page, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, Apple Music, Discogs, iHeartRadio, and Deezer. And hey, if you want to reach out and communicate with us, please send an email to horrordraftspod at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at horrordrafts, all one word. We'd love to hear any questions you have for us, suggestions for topics to draft, or ideas for guests. 
especially if you can put us in touch with them. Thanks everyone, and we hope to hear from you soon.